Not that catchy. Not that catchy. The drums escalate things. You put your hands on me. You get knocked off. Hey guys, it's Fleckas. This week we're in L.A. for a Trump protest. People want Trump to be impeached. We're going to find out why. Fleckas talks. Hello, sir. Can I ask you a question? What, uh, what does the sign say? I have no idea. I'm not really here to talk. But you're at a protest and you have a sign. And I'm you're... not here to talk to you. I'm just not. Here. You're here to get cars to beep? I'm just here to hang out. That's cool. I respect that. Do you hope Trump does well? No. No, I hope he goes down in flames. Do you hope he fails? Yes. But he's kind of like flying the plane as the pilot, right? And I would never hope Obama failed. I would want Obama to do well. But, you know, to want Trump to fail means the country fails. Isn't that kind of short-sighted? Well, the country's failing already as far as I'm concerned. The following program contains language and subject matter that you may consider unsuitable for children. Parental discretion is advised. Greetings, Herfman. His Highness the Jackal. The Jackal. I'm going to pass the reins to Mr. Jackal, the new king of radio. Yes. Allow me to puff as well. Mm. Uh, Those are some powerful herbs. <laughs> giving me dark visions. Shall we pack this again? I, I'm not getting visions. I'm not sure if it's working, is it? Visions. Visions. Daddy, so are you seeing what I'm seeing? You making a fool of yourself. I think Jackal's a Latino, I'm not sure, but he'll give it to you. Hold on one second here. The Jackal. Oh my goodness. That audio in the beginning is priceless. Welcome everybody to Inside the Jackal's Head back on live on PSN Radio. It is October 20th, the year of the Golden Goose. 2019, or as President Trump would call this, the year the swamp ate itself. My God, did you hear that audio? And those are some uh, folks that are protesting the president. Oh, goodness. Now, before I tell you about my guest tonight, I wanted to check uh, some stories out with you. Uh, You know, that in itself is a, a crazy story, and it's posted on my website, that audio, if you want to check it out in the full length. It's about a 17-minute long video. Uh, it's crazy. The left has gone nuts. We're going to go over some great news tonight, some not-so-great news, some fun entertainment news, and then I'm going to tell you about my guest. First, uh, let me uh, run down some of the things we're going to uh, go over in the news in a couple minutes. First, Father of Eight. Events an electric car battery that could drive you about 1,500 miles, everybody, without charging it. I'm going to read that article in a minute. Also, the uh, movie Joker setting box office records. And we're going to discuss that. Uh, I saw it. It's uh, an amazing movie. It really is. It's a movie that sticks with you. You have to see it more than once to really get everything that happens, but... Uh, also, we're going to go over some uh, stuff with George Clooney, who got dragged into the Jeffrey Epstein scandal. And for some sad news, Alex Trebek has only but a few days to live. And uh, Alex Trebek from the Jeopardy game show. Uh, also, this past week, Congressman Elijah Cummings 
of Baltimore passed away. He was 68. We're going to go over that in a second and what that means for the country. Uh, also, this is uh, an incredible report. It's live on my website. And Trump fires back at ABC reporter. And uh, for being deceptive, I have audio of that. And uh, also, uh, Project Veritas, you got to check this out on the website. Also, CNN Insider blows the whistle on the network president, Jeff Zucker. And I'm talking about CNN's Jeff Zucker, who uh, apparently uh, has a grudge against the president. going to love that report. And uh, last but not least in the news, Rand Paul explains, and I have an audio, how Mr. President 45, Trump did not give Turkey permission to invade. And that's from uh, Rand Paul Jr. Not senior, but junior. Not senior, junior. And uh very cool audio clip. I'm going to play that in a minute. Uh, let me see. Also tonight we have as our guest, now we're going to go uh, and give him a quick uh, mention, uh, Mr. Dave Emmons is going to be on the show. And uh, Dave is a very interesting gentleman. Now, I know the show is uh, catering more and more to other topics, not just uh, UFO-related or ufology-related topics, but uh, Dave Emmons, he claims that uh, he has uh, been training in top-secret nuclear weapons in the military intelligence and did not like uh, constant military intelligence interviews and did not like the pressure that he was subjected to and stuff. You know, he claimed that in his personal life, which has been surrounded by the uh, paranormal, uh, Dave and his wife lead a uh, members-only ET discussion group uh, from their home in Washington State, a uh, home that not only hosts uh, where members uh, relate their encounters, but a home that claims ET and encounters happen as well and he's going to join us to talk about his experiences in fact uh, me and him share a similar event as you know i have a long history with the whole topic of ufos from not only this show but skywatchers radio which is uh by the way we're going to come back soon working on the website skywatchersradio.com will be live uh in 2020 shout outs to alan who's uh, i'm sure listening in patiently uh, waiting for the return. Now, let's see, uh, what else? So that's gonna be in, in a, in a couple of minutes. Uh, well, that's gonna be the end of the hour. We're gonna have Dave on with us. And, uh, that's gonna be for the entire second hour. I'm really looking forward to having him on because, uh, like I said, I'm into the whole, uh, abduction part and, and sightings and getting first-hand accounts and he's done a lot of research. I've been doing a, a ton of backs, you know, back homework on him, and I think you, uh, you, the audience, are really going to enjoy listening to Dave uh, give you, you know, his uh, synopsis of, you know, what his backstory is, and we're going to get into some of, uh, you know, the actual sightings and what he saw, and like, like I said again, we're going to talk about the one that correlates to one I had as a kid. Now, moving on, I have also Samaritan of the Week here on the show. Yeah. There we go. Good job, Pete.
Thank you. Thank you. All right. All right, Pete. All right. Hey, Pete. Pete, cut, cut it off, man. All right. <clears throat> Thank you, Pete. All right. The Samaritan of the Week uh, is, uh, let's see, uh, it, this is uh, actually going out for two people. So it's a, a co-shared Samaritan of the Week. As some of you might be aware, I had an accident in April, and I'll be requiring uh, a scary back surgery to fix a broken back. That's right. As I sit here and I do this show, I have a broken back, folks. And while I rehab, I really had nobody to take my dog, uh, which is really my late mother's dog, as you uh, that might follow me on Facebook might have been seeing. I put some posts up trying to see if I could have somebody help uh, take him in, basically. I made some calls this week uh, to see if someone could help. I found a very nice lady at an animal clinic here in, in the city. I'm staying out temporarily. And um, she recommended another lady who uh, could help. And it turns out that they were both just uh, amazing people. They went, you know, immediately to try to help out. And I wanted to really thank them both uh, for uh, going out of their way to really make the, you know, the transition very quick. In fact, uh, my, uh, mom's dog, Tito, which is now taking a good nap after he ate a whole lot of food today. We, we got, we, it, it felt kind of sad because it was almost like one of those things like he was uh, on death row when we gave him the last meal and now he's going to a better place, right? Uh, I guess you could say that. I mean, he was very happy before when mom, you know, my mom was uh, with him all the time because she was at home. Unfortunately for myself, you know, when I I try to uh, I tried to uh, be there and I took care of him since 2016 when she passed. You know, with my back surgery, I'm gonna be not. I, there's just no way that I'm gonna be able to take care of him. So. Um, now, I didn't catch the name of the first young lady who helped me out. Uh, she did give me her name, but it just, you know, it's one of the things I, 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 I'm trying to blank on. But the place she worked at is the Aussie Animal Hospital. And I want to give them a shout out. The Aussie Animal Hospital down here in Florida. And, and actually, uh, like I said, she was very, very nice. And, uh, she sent me on my way to the, uh, path to meet a, a the other lady named Riza. I got, I got her name, Pete. Yeah, I got, yeah, the second lady. Her name, uh, we registered her name. The name is Riza. Uh, <laughs> actually, she's a very, very nice lady. Amazing folks. Uh, Riza found a lovely family who's gonna take Tito in and give him a nice home. So, um, you know, there you go, uh, as I go in for my surgery, and then I have rehab for post-surgery, which is going to take me out for about maybe four to five months to uh, recover. It's not going to be uh, anything pleasant. I'm not looking forward to it. But if I want to walk like a man when I'm 45 and 50, you know, I, I have to have the surgery according to my surgeon. Uh, so it's Ariza and the nurse at the animal uh, clinic, the Aussie Animal Clinic, uh, Ronald Clark. Thank you, Pete. Thank you. Right on cue. Good job. 
All right, that's that's enough, buddy. That's... Come on, come on. I'm not even gonna play this. No, we don't have time for that. All right, good job, Pete. Very nice. Good job. So there you go, two Samaritans of the week. Uh, lovely ladies, I want to again give them a, a special thank you for finding Tito a home. And it's a, a sad but very happy night at the same time here at where I'm crashing at. Uh, sad because, uh, you know, he's been with me since uh, he's been a puppy. And I want to uh, miss him for sure. You know, you do grow attached to animals. And uh, I'm very sad about not having him around. But I'm very happy for the fact that According to uh, Riza, the uh, home he's going to is a very good home, and the folks are going to give him all the attention he needs. And he's a great dog. Let me tell you, he's, uh, again, taking a nap. I'm, I have a whole folder of uh, photos and videos of him, which at least I'll have a, a memory of uh, raising him for a certain period of time. The way I look at it is uh, I raised a child. Now he's going out to the world, and uh, he's joining other people people's families and you know he's uh, doing something different but I feel like I've completed a mission almost like Yoda passing the training to Obi-Wan throw a little Star Wars reference in there and uh, moving on uh, from the uh, special Samaritan of the week tribute I uh, got a couple uh, really funny clips guys uh, actually I, I teased that this uh, I think a week or two ago uh, where I'm going to have a segment called Only in America. And uh, I have audio clips of both. And uh, one of them is only in Florida and the other one's only in Ohio. Now, the Florida one is cops tell a Florida man to stop calling 911 about his stolen weed. That's right, folks. I, I didn't misread that. You, you heard me right. Only in Florida, you would think that you would hear something as crazy as somebody calling 911 because his roommate sold his weed. Now, check out the audio. This is very brief. Uh, it's the actual police giving the call. You gotta, you gotta listen to this. It's just... all right. So I just received a call. Um, the guy's calling in saying his roommate stole. His weed, um, twenty dollars worth, and he's upset. So he keeps calling nine one one. So I got to give him a call to tell him to stop calling about his weed. Um, and going back to the uh, guy calling in to report his drugs stolen, um, I called him to let him know not to call the sheriff's office and report his drugs. Um, and he started to freak out a little bit on the on the phone, and then hung up on me shortly after. So now the moment of silence there was. Because uh, that's a facepalm piece of audio, guys. That's, uh, that is where we're at right now in society, where people call 911 because their roommate stole their ganja. And it's not just happening in Florida. This kind of mental breakdown, sickness, retardation, whatever you want to call it, uh, is happening in other parts of the country. As you guys know, we've been linked because of the, the, Chump lames or La China lames, as I like to call them, um, who used to play for the Miami Heat. Uh, 
we've been linked with Ohio, Cleveland for some time now. Uh, the Marlins beat them in the World Series in 97. You know, the Miami-Cleveland thing goes back several decades. And and not to outdo that kind of retarded clip where a man calls 911. And you heard the officer there talk, you know, taking in the reporter and talking about uh, how he basically told the guy, stop calling in. Okay? Just... Don't we don't want to? They don't, why would you call in and tell the police that your roommate stole your weed? First of all, that is the dumbest thing I ever heard. But as you heard the cop there, like say, tell him stop calling in about that. I mean, this is nine one one emergency. Yeah, how stupid are, are people nowadays to where they actually call nine one one and this is what they're reporting? But again, this is not just the sickness of a Floridian mind. No, 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 no. This is spread out, and it's a madness all over the place. This one is from Ohio. Listen to this. This is really, really good. Hi, I need to do a complaint about two Sharonville cops. They stole my f***ing weed last night. Okay, let me have you talk to a supervisor. All right. Hold on just a moment. Hello? Hi, uh, is this a sheriff? This is Sergeant Mark Duddleson with the Sharonville Police. How can I help you? All right, my name's... So I had two cops come here last night and steal my f***ing weed, and I want it back. Okay, where, what what address are you talking about? Yeah, I was I was staying at a hotel last night at the night at the time. My wife had some problem. They had to call them, and my wife had my f***ing weed in their purse, and the mother f***ing cops took it. It was only like four grams, but it was really good f***ing weed. It was only like four grams, but it was like you know prestige f***ing weed, and the mother f***ers took it. And from what I know. A hundred grams is cool, right? Or am I wrong? You are wrong. I'm wrong. What do you mean by that? Do you think it's cool? What, where did you get that information What, what are you from? talking about? A hundred grams is legal. Am I wrong? No, it's not. What county is this? This is in Hamilton County. Hamilton County, a hundred grams is legal. Okay, well, I mean, it's not. I'm just here to tell you that it's not. What do you mean it's not, dude? Where have you been the past two months? Okay. Two months ago, it got passed 100 grams. You guys don't take it. No ticket. I know I'm right here, dude. Don't try to talk to me like a dub. Okay, Matthew, I'm, I'm right here. If you'd like to come down and file a complaint against these officers, you can do it in person. No bullshit. I want my weed back. It was only four grams, and it happened at like 2:30 last night. Did those mother turn in any weed? Did they say any weed? Or I guarantee you, they put it right in their fucking pocket. Okay, well, uh... Yo, man, I'll take this as far as you want to go. If you think you're going to f*** me around with this bullshit, dude, you're f***ing wrong. I'm just going to go over your f***ing head. I uh, want my mother f***ing weed back. They didn't turn it in, did they? Did, did they, any cops turn in any f***ing weed last night around 2.33 a.m.? I guarantee you they didn't. They stole my f***ing weed. It was only four f***ing grams. And I'm allowed to have up to 100 grams. I know the law. I know my f***ing rights. Okay. Yo, and if you're not going to help me out, I'm going to go over your f***ing head. Can you stop talking for a second? Okay. What? What hotel were you at? I don't know. Some hotel in Sharonville. But I woke up in the morning. I asked my wife where my mother weed was, and she said the cops came and took it. It was okay. only four grams, but it was good weed. So the, and those so mother the, stole it. So the police officers took it from your wife? Yeah. Okay. And my wife said to them, they, she said to them, no. 
100 grams is legal. And they said, uh, and they kind of laughed, you know, tell it to the judge kind of bullshit. Okay, what's your wife's name? Hey, I'm not trying to get all this information out, man. I just Why want not? my you, feedback. You called me. You are complaining. I, I know, dude, but I know how it all works, and I feel like you're just trying to trap me right now. And I'm not falling into that game, man. All I want is my mother feedback. Yo, can you at least answer me a question? Did them nope, two cops nope. that were in Sheriffville last night, Matthew. did they turn in any weed? What's your wife's name? Uh, Marilyn Manson is my wife's name. Okay. But anyway, well, back to my point and why I called to, you for your help. Well, uh, I'm, where's man, my I'm trying weed? to get you. Did any, cop, did any Sheriffville cops turn in any weed last night? Hey, how, how do you think it's possible that you call me and be completely unreasonable, and then I can't have a conversation with you and you Sir, expect any kind I'm of result. I'm not trying to be unreasonable to you. Okay, I'm what's your wife's you, name? Answer me the simple question. What's your wife's Did name? any Sharonville cops turn in any weed last night? They I didn't. Need... They took my weed and they stuck it in their f***ing pockets. Okay, what's your wife's you know, name? It, my wife said it was some young guy and, and some bald fat that came here and took it. You know, they didn't give me no ticket. Hey. Illegal. You know, they said, you know, they said they would tell it to the judge kind of bullshit. You know, where's my weed ticket then? If it's not legal. They took my Yeah, but anyway, I can tell this is a losing situation. I just want you to look into it. Last night, 2.30, there were two cops here that stole my weed. You know, and that's it. You have a good evening, sir. Thank you. All right. God. So stupid. My goodness. There you go. That is a sickness, folks. Uh, I, like, I don't want to blame, uh, you know, the plan itself. That's not fair. Uh, but you gotta admit, these guys have smoked themselves retarded. Like, I never thought I'd say that. Uh, because, you know, I, I have no issues if people out there, you know, smoke ganja. That's great. More power to you. Um, but those, uh, Two individuals, the one who called 911 and the Ohio guy, uh, they called 911. They're, uh, you know, the Florida and Ohio too, uh, really should take a break for a while. When you're calling 911 and you're ranting and raving about people stealing your weed, there's an issue. You know, especially if there's cops involved, just at some point you just let the shit go and move on. Like, I'm sure we could find more weed where that came from. And, you know, you could just uh, go over there and say, hey, man, you know. That's right. You know, just hook me up, man. Come on. And then, you know, you, you move on with your life. I mean, I have uh, no idea that we're in strange times, folks. Uh, strange, strange times. Look at that audio I was playing earlier with the uh, clueless protesters. They want to impeach the president for absolutely no idea, uh, and no reason, and no collusion, and no uh, anything. I mean, they, the media report down that they exonerated the president. Uh, they found nothing, and now they wanted to throw him under, under the bus because he wanted to save. American taxpayers even more money with the G7 thing uh, next uh, year where they're going to host that thing down here in the, the Doral area. Of course, the left uh, made a big stink about it, and they just announced now, today I think, uh, earlier this uh, morning, that they're not going to host it there anymore. They're going to actually find a new spot. Because the left went ape nuts 
with the announcement that they're going to uh, host the G7, maybe becomes the G8 if Russia gets in there uh, next uh, year at his uh, resort, which was going to be at 50% less cost than the next best resort that they could have in the, or the next best place that they could have this thing in. Think about that. The left rather spend 50% more in cost for the G7 summit next year than do it in a property owned by the president who's not taking a salary. He's not made a penny from being president, okay, as commander-in-chief. He's the first one who's never taken a paycheck. It's been donated to uh, charities and whatnot, and that's fact. That's not me making that up because I'm a fan or uh, I voted for the guy. No, no, that's a fact, all right? There's other facts, but uh, that's a a very uh, important one to keep in mind. And also, this event is going to cost, or would have cost, 50% less than whatever the second best was. And uh, there's uh, a whole controversy about that. So it's avoiding any issues. Trump announced that they're not going to host it there anymore. So they're going to have it out somewhere else. They're going to look out for that. But Rand Paul did something really interesting. And again, this is Rand Paul Jr. This is part of the, the news I wanted to get to. He was on uh, on Glenn Beck's show. And uh, he talked about how the president did not give Turkey the okay to go in and start bombing the living crap out of Syria, out of the Kurds, because that's also rhetoric that's been going out there uh, from the Democratic Congress left. And I wanted to lead off with that piece of audio. Uh, Rand Paul checked this out explaining why exactly it is that we're being uh, lied to on this entire issue because it, you know, it's funny because everything this president does, whether it's, um, you know, this, the stuff in Syria, which my take on the whole thing is, uh, some of the uh, listeners here who might have heard, might have heard me talk about this. Uh, my whole take is we had to pull out at some point and when Turkey is telling you, hey, we're going in whether you're there or not, and you only have 28 soldiers in that region, you back up, because if not, guess what, this becomes Benghazi number two, and he leaves them in, they die. He gets criticized. He takes them out, they don't die, he still gets criticized. So there's no win at all. Either way, they flip it, and I'm going to talk about that in a second in the article with Project Veritas, but listen to this. We're going to lead off with Rand Paul. Check this out. The president has uh, allowed um, our troops to be withdrawn from Syria, Uh, and I'm really torn on this because these guys we were in bed with, they were corrupt from the beginning. When, When John McCain went over, with Hillary Clinton, uh, with uh, not Hillary Clinton, with uh, Barack Obama's uh, blessings, to embrace these people, uh, I, I, I ranted every night. These are not good people. We should not be over in inserting ourselves in with these people, especially. This is not going to work out well. Now the president pulls people out, and we have this mess on our hand. But I, 
I don't know how else to get out of there other than just to get out of there. Well, people need to remember the beginning of the Syrian war, and for years and years, it was Lindsey Graham and Hillary Clinton, both on the same side, both supporting Sunni extremists against Assad. Now, Assad is no angel, but most of the Christians in the country actually sided with Assad and had been a minority religion protected by Assad's government for decades. But the Sunni extremists that we supported, or our government supported, Hillary Clinton and Lindsey Graham, if those people had taken over, my fear is that their ideology would have been closer to the ISIS caliphate than it would have been to anything the West has known. But it's a very complicated situation. Turkey is, a, is misbehaving in the region, buying Russian missiles, etc. They are uh, an authoritarian government and a NATO ally. By the NATO alliance, we're supposed to defend them against attack. Their current allies are somebody called the Free Syrian Army. That's who's uh, doing a lot of these battles within Syria. It's a militia, but we were allied with the Free Syrian Army for seven years. They're fighting against the Kurds. The Syrian Kurds, uh, uh, their political ideology is socialism. In fact, the Kurdish Workers' Party is socialist and terrorist within Turkey. Interestingly, the Iraqi Kurds, who have been our friends and have some autonomy in Iraq, don't like the Syrian Kurds and actually have an arrangement with Turkey where they've turned over Kurdish Worker Party uh, terrorists back to Turkey. The Iraqi Kurds have a good relationship with Turkey currently. There's 1,800 Turkish businesses in Iraqi Kurdistan. That's the model we should be looking for. And I think the irony of this is, if you care about the Kurds, it actually may turn out that in the last 24 hours there is an alliance between Assad and the Kurds developing, and that maybe the Syrians can convince the Turks that they will control their country. There will be no Kurdish incursions into Turkey, but there need be no Turkish incursions into Syria. And maybe there could be a development of a semi-autonomous region. Assad needs allies. If he could get the Kurds to be allies and say, we are Syrian Kurds, we have a province up here, you leave us largely alone, kind of like a federal model like we have, maybe there could be some peace. What's been preventing peace for years now is the neocons have said, oh, we have to topple Assad and we have to have regime change and nobody would talk to Assad. In the end, I think Assad is there to stay, at least for a while, and needs to be part of any kind of peace plan. But you would admit that this is really ugly right now. It is, and I think it's also something we had no control over. So the Turks called up President Trump and said, we're coming one way or another. And President Trump looked at his generals and said, we have 50 people there. Would it be smart to leave 50 people in the wave of a Turkish invasion? The mainstream media is pointing it out. Oh, he gave them the green light and said, come on, we'll get out of the way. I don't think that's the way it developed. I think the way it developed is... The Turks have been chomping at the bit for a year or two to come in and wipe out the people who they believe are their enemies and some of whom probably are terrorists. They've been wanting to wipe them out. And I think the discussion was finally Erdogan says we are coming one way or another. And then the president had to decide whether or not leaving 50 soldiers in the middle of a war was a good idea. The president also said from the very beginning that his goal was to defeat ISIS. ISIS is defeated. ISIS holds no territory. Is the ideology still there? Are there still some people? Sure, there always will be. But ISIS is defeated. That was our goal. Our goal was not to make Syria a country. Our goal was not to give the Syrian Kurds a country. Our goal was to defeat yeah. ISIS. And so I think we did accomplish that goal, and we shouldn't change the goal. There you go. Uh, <clears throat> now, when you... Listen to that audio. There's a, a part in there that he actually gets wrong. 
and he said that uh, there were 50 people in there. It turns out there were actually 28 soldiers in there, uh, not 50 of our guys. So it was 28. So it was a lot less than they initially reported. And uh, thanks uh, to us pulling them out, they're now all going to be okay, and they're going to enjoy, uh, you know, this month alive. So, to avoid Benghazi number two, the president pulled them out and saved their lives, and there was no green light given to anybody. Turkey was coming one way or the other, and they weren't giving a turkey leg up to anybody. And I've been saying that on the show. This is, uh, not, you know, for me it's nothing new, but I wanted to have an audio clip of somebody that people know, Rand Paul, you know him. And there you go, he broke it down better than I probably could ever break it down. And uh, again, what did he say? The president had a conversation with Turkey. Turkey told him, hey, we're coming whether you like it or not. So move out the way, guy. I guess that's how Turkish people uh, speak. And uh, the president uh, said, listen, don't do it. And, and then, of course, that letter came out where the president gave him a stern warning about doing this. But, again, you know, we're over there fighting their wars, supposedly, uh, for, what, 10 years now? In 10 years, you're telling me they could not stand on their own. What, have, what the hell have we been doing over there? Billions of dollars have been going to the Kurds and to the Syrians and that part of the world to, you know, get them on their feet militarily, economically. You know, they, we spent a lot of money and gave them a lot of weaponry. And as soon as, you know, we moved 28 soldiers, you're telling me they cannot protect themselves? In a decade, what the hell have they been doing? Where's that money going? I mean, these are questions that need to be asked. And, uh, you know, nobody asks these things. CNN is not asking. And I, I know why. Because it's, you know, negative Trump all the time. And that goes back to the website. Here we go. If you go to uh, angelespino.com, that's my main website, go down on the uh, left side and you're going to see the Project Veritas uh, stuff in there. If you have not checked out that audio, my goodness, listen to it. The fake news is all orchestrated again by Jeff Sucker. From CNN, he has a personal grudge. And let me set it up for you. When you go over this, you kind of understand what's going on and why this uh, entire fake news you know, thing has been happening and why they're so negative on this president. It's very simple. This goes back uh, you know, a decade, I think, with The Apprentice. Trump, of course, had the number one TV show on TV, and guess who the producer was? Jeff Zucker, right? And for years, Trump had the number one show, made him very wealthy. And then Trump had to leave the show because he did 10 seasons. A lot of, you know, shows, uh, they, they run their course after five, six seasons. You know, some, some of 
the best shows last eight, nine, ten seasons. They tried replacing him with Arnold Schwarzenegger, which flopped. And uh, Mr. Schwarzenegger said, I'll be back to movies because this is not very good for my career. First Maria, and now this, this is not good. I got to get to the chopper and get out of here. And he left. That's probably the worst Arnold you're ever going to hear, by the way. And, um, she'll ever do that. Bye, bye, bye! No, right? Yeah, no, I don't think so. And, uh, so Arnold failed. Bye, bye, bye! And, uh, that was the end of uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger's time on El Apprentice. So with that said, uh, you know, the show flopped, failed, and went out of the way. And uh, then uh, Jess Zucker started working directly with CNN, became president. Uh, now he runs the network. And Project Veritas has uh, a whistleblower, right? We know how Congress loves the whistleblowers. And uh, he came forward because he was disgusted by what was, what was happening in the network. And he actually catches Jeff Zucker not just directing traffic on you know, what the anchors should, you know, highlight or, or going through regular, uh, you know, information that they should be putting out there. No, no, no. It's very damning information for CNN. Because here we have the president saying, listen, we got to go on Trump, you know, 24-7. It's going to be negative Trump. Trump, 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 Trump. Impeachment, impeachment. Whatever the narrative is, we go with that 24-7. Always negative. And then he slanders Fox News, which I think there's a lawsuit now pending between those two. And uh, this is uh, blowing up, and it's taking a, a grass root for it to blow up because it, the mainstream is not, they, they're not going to cover this. CNN is not going to bury themselves. So Project Veritas uh, took to Twitter, and they've been posting this stuff, and I got it on the website. For those who can't find it on Twitter, very simple. Go to the uh, website, angelespino.com. That's my name. It's right on the uh, post on the left-hand side. If you scroll down, you'll see the, the entire thing. All the videos, pictures, all the information is right there. It's amazing, amazing stuff. Again, going back uh, to just how awful things are. Now, this week also Trump fires back at an ABC reporter for deceptive questions, and you got to hear this audio. And the question was very deceptive, um, and it deals with something that Trump took offense to, and he really put this person in his place. Not only that, he put the entire network in their place, and this is great audio. Check this After out. All you have seen, ISIS prisoners freed, all the humanitarian disaster. You don't have any regret for giving Erdogan the green light to, to invade? I didn't give him a green light. Well, uh, did you tell him? That's did he the same thing him? as you just, uh, you know, when you make a statement like that, it's so deceptive. Uh, just the opposite of a green light. First of all, we had virtually no soldiers there. They were mostly gone. Just a tiny little group. And uh, they would have been in harm's way. You have a massive army on the other side of the border. But more importantly, I didn't give him a green light. And if anybody saw the letter, which About can be released very easily if you'd like, I could certainly release it. But I wrote a letter right after that conversation, a very powerful letter, 
Uh, there was never given a green light. They've been wanting to do that for years, and frankly, they've been fighting for many, many years. And when you ask a question like that, it's very deceptive, John. It's almost as deceptive as you showing all of the bombings taking place in Syria, and it turned out that the bombing that you showed on television took place in Kentucky. So, you know, and I'm not even sure that ABC apologized for that, but certainly it was a terrible thing. I'm looking at this, I'd say, wow, that's pretty bad, and it was in Kentucky, it wasn't in Syria, so I don't know what you're going to do about that, but I think ABC owes an apology. You see, Lindsey Graham just said of your remarks that you made in the Oval Office that if you keep talking like that, quote, this will be a disaster worse than Obama's decision to leave Iraq. No, Lindsey Graham would like to stay in the Middle East for the next thousand years with thousands of soldiers and fighting other people's wars. I want to get out of the Middle East. I think Lindsey should focus right now on judiciary like the Democrats, uh, the do-nothing Democrats, as I call them, because they're doing nothing. They're getting nothing done. They're not getting USMCA done between Canada, the United States, and Mexico. They're getting nothing done. And I think Lindsey should focus on judiciary. He ought to find out about what happened with Comey, what happened with McCabe, Lisa, what happened with Peter Strzok, what happened with President Obama, what happened with Brennan. That's what Lindsey ought to focus on. That's what the people of South Carolina want him to focus on. The people of South Carolina don't want us to get into a war with Turkey, a NATO member, or with Syria. Let them fight their own wars. They've been fighting for a thousand years. Let them fight their own wars. The people of South Carolina want to see those troops come home. And I want an election based on that. And that's the way it is, whether it's good or bad. That's the way it is. And if you look at this country, I'd be willing to bet anything, political instinct, that that's what the country wants. I'm not going to get involved in a war between Turkey and Syria, especially when, if you look at the Kurds. And again, I say this with great respect. They're no angels. If you look at PKK, take a look at PKK. ISIS respects PKK. You know why? Because there is tough or tougher than ISIS. You take a look at a lot of the things having to do. You have to say it. Nobody wants to say it. We're making the Kurds look like they're angels. We paid a lot of money to the Kurds, tremendous amounts of money. We've given them massive fortunes. And you know what? It's wonderful. They fought with us, but we paid a lot for them to fight with us. But just so you understand, we were the ones that captured ISIS. People let some go. They opened a couple of doors to make us look as bad as possible. Uh, we have a situation where Turkey is taking land from Syria. Syria is not happy about it. Let them work it out. We shouldn't be over there. And you should get your accounts correct. And you shouldn't be showing up buildings blowing up in Kentucky and say it's Syria, because that really is fake news. Again, there you go. That is fake news, fake reporting. And uh, people want to impeach this president over that. So that's full circle, guys. And uh, now on some sad news, uh, as uh, that's not sad enough, right? Politics is a very sad game. But, uh, you know, other games are a lot more fun and for the last uh, 36 years, I'm 41, so this person has been in, in on my TV in one capacity, uh, you know, for 36 of my 41 years. Uh, in, in 41 years, 
36 of them uh, I've watched uh, on a regular basis because I'm actually a fan of the show. One, Alex Trebek on the uh, show Jeopardy. I, I do watch uh, game shows like that, like the, you know, quips back and forth between the uh, the host and the, uh, the guests. And uh, there's a lot of stuff. It's funny because I've always looked at that show in particular, and I'm like, man, I could probably clean up on that show because... I, you know, I answer a lot of the questions correctly, not to, you know, pat myself on the back or anything. I would never do that. Atta boy. There you go. Uh, but, uh, <clears throat> no, no, no. Uh, but Alex Trebek, and, and this is really sad, he uh, apparently has only a few days to live, and uh, there's uh, no... There's an audio clip I'm going to play on, on this, and take this with a big grain of salt. I have not been able to completely confirm uh, how long he has, uh, but as a lot of people know, he's dealing with uh, the big C, cancer, and I posted uh, this on the website, angelespino.com, for those who want to check out the audio clip there. But I'm going to play uh, this uh, for you guys to listen to. If this is uh, legit and he does have only a few days left, uh, man, what a loss. Great show, great, uh, you know, run, 36 years. But more than that, terrific human being. Alex Trebek, I mean, you don't hear anything negative of anything with that man. In 36 years, he's been on TV doing this thing. And uh, when he's gone, I'm going to miss him. I'm going to uh, miss seeing him on TV on the show. And uh, whoever they get to replace him, it's not going to be the same. Because for 36 years to, to you know, have that presence there, uh, it's going to be kind of jarring to uh, see anybody else take his spot. But uh, my condolences uh, to him and uh, his family for what they're going through. I know what this is all about. I lost my mom in 2016, so I know exactly what they're about to go through. And it's never easy for the family. It's uh, easier, I think, for the person who passes. Because once they're, you know, once you're, you're past, that's, that's it. There's something else. The family that gets left behind have to really mourn. And I know all about that part of the game, folks, let me tell you. So, uh, here's the audio clip. Again, I've only been able to confirm this in two places. And, um, as the story unfolds, I'm going to, uh, update it a little bit more. Play the, uh, Alex Trebek, uh, revealing that there's only a few days from Flip. Hello, and welcome to this video. Jeopardy host Alex Trebek continues fighting pancreatic cancer. He recently opened up about the effects of his treatment and hopes for the future. Alex Trebek stunned fans in March when he revealed he was diagnosed with stage 4 pancreatic cancer. He remained on the show Jeopardy until late July. He later took leave from the show to go through treatment and has recently started a new round of chemotherapy. He recently opened up in an interview with CTV News to talk about his battle and treatment. The Jeopardy host revealed that should the inevitable happen, he is not afraid. He told the interviewer that he knows he won't live forever. I'm not afraid of dying, said Trebek, 79. I've lived a good life, a full life, and I'm nearing the end of that life. If it happens, why should I be afraid of that? One thing they're not going to say at my funeral, 
as part of a eulogy, is he was taken from us too soon, the TV legend told senior editor Lisa Laflamme. Despite the somber nature of the interview, Trebek is usually extremely positive about his struggle. However, he explained that even though he remains upbeat, he is aware that countless other cancer patients also occasionally feel the despair of the diagnosis. He said that it can be difficult trying to be as optimistic as you can when the other person feels none of that. They only feel despair. He went on to admit that he didn't know if I was strong enough or intelligent enough to help alleviate that despair. Trebek, a native of Sudbury, Ontario, then went on to reveal some of the effects he experienced as a result of the chemotherapy treatment he is undergoing. He admitted the treatment has caused sores in his mouth that sometimes cause him to stumble while talking. I'm sure there are observant members of the television audience that notice also, but they're forgiving, he said. But there will come a point when they are no longer able to say, it's okay. Trebek has hosted Jeopardy for 36 seasons. He has appeared on the show for almost 8,000 episodes and intends to stay on the show, as long as my skills do not diminish. There are weaknesses I feel in my body, but I can always suck it up when it comes to take the show, he said. Thank you for watching this video for latest in celebrity news. Please subscribe to my channel. And there you go, folks. Uh, Alex Trebek, uh, he's a... Uh, not doing well, so our prayers and thoughts are with him at this uh, moment. Hopefully he does recover uh, from his illness. Uh, that said, man, that's, uh, that's tough. It's tough to uh, lose anybody, but when you uh, are a legend on whether it's entertainment, TV, or whatever, and you're that long in the public, it, and, you know, as a member of the audience who's listening or, or watching or anything, um, when it's not a family member, you know, we still feel it, you know, we're, we're human beings, and when somebody like that passes away, we we mourn as well, and uh, it's not like I know the man, I have no, you know, say in, in his life, uh, but it's almost like losing an uncle or a cousin, and uh, by the way, I'm, I have a cousin who is uh, in hospice uh, currently, and he's not doing well either, so... There's uh, another issue that I'm dealing with in my life. Uh, so I, I completely understand what this family's going through. And, uh, man, it's not easy. So if you guys want to check that out, again, it's posted over on the website, angelespino.com. We're going to go on a short break here in a few minutes. Uh, but I did want to get to a couple of the stories, one of them a little bit more upbeat. And it involves an ex-Navy officer who turned an investor. And uh, he uh, he claims that he's uh, not an investor, I'm sorry, inventor. And he claims uh, that he has a multi-million dollar product that can produce a, uh, that's actually a battery that can produce 1,500 miles without needing charge for an electric car. Now think about this. A thousand five hundred miles, and I will walk. No, no, I will drive fifteen hundred miles. Now imagine the satisfaction of driving your environmentally friendly electric car for a thousand five hundred miles without having to stop to recharge the battery. A distance uh, more. 
four times as far as the best and most expensive model currently on the road. Think about that. Under the bonnet is the uh, under the bonnet is a revolutionary new type of battery, which, unlike those used in conventional electric cars, can also power buses, huge uh, lorries, and even aircrafts. Now that's amazing. What's more, it's it's far simpler and cheaper to make than batteries currently in the millions of electric vehicles around the world now, and unlike them, it can easily be recycled. Now, this might sound like a science fiction fantasy, but it's not. Last Friday, the battery's inventor, British engineer, and former, uh, former Royal Navy officer Trevor Jackson signed a multi-million dollar pound deal which is I have no idea how much in American dollars but uh, he says here to start a manufacturing uh, start manufacturing the device on a large scale in the UK and I see the photo here and um, the device is tiny like uh, I'm going to post this on my uh, Facebook account because it's not on my website. It's coming from direct off oh, from Daily Mail, DailyMail dot co dot uk. But I'm gonna post it on the Facebook dot com forward slash PSN Radio website. Now it's a it's a tiny device, and this could uh, power aircraft now. Think about how much flight and drivability you can get out of something like this. Without having to refuel, I'm sure it's very quiet. Now, the the Austin Electric, an engineering firm based in Essex, uh, which now owns the rights to use the old Austin model uh, company logo, by the way, uh, will begin putting thousands of them into electric vehicles in the next year. According to Austin's chief executive, Danny Corcoran, uh, uh, Corcoran? I think I'm reading that right. The new technology is a game changer, he said. It can help trigger the next industrial revolution. The advantages over traditional electric vehicles, batteries are enormous, he said. Uh, few will have heard of Jackson's extraordinary invention. The reason, he says, is that since he and the company, uh, but, you know, became an LTD and came up with a prototype a, uh, a decade ago. He has faced determined opposition from the automobile industry and the main establishment, and I wonder why. Huh. Shocking? Is anybody shocked by that? Good job, Pete. A little late on the uh, sample there, but good job. I'm not shocked by that. That's uh, completely normal. When uh, somebody comes up with something like that, it's a game changer. Why would you give it to the people? Right? No, suppress it. Don't bring that out. Let them keep paying a crap load for gas and getting short life of the earth, their little tiny electric vehicles. 
Well, that's why we don't want bigger governments. That's why you got to vote for Trump. But uh, it says here, but an independent uh, evaluation of the government agency in the UK trade and investment said in 2017 that it was a very attractive battery based on a well-established technology and that it produced much more energy per kilogram than standard electric vehicle, vehicle types. That was in 2017. So uh, I think it's about time uh, that you know this uh, gets rolling. Now it says two years ago, Jackson claims motor manufacturers lobbied the Foreign Office uh, to bar him from the prestigious conference for the European businesses and governments at the British Embassy in Paris, which was supposed to agree or to agree a, uh, a blueprint for ensuring that all cars are electric by 2040. So there was going to be some agreement to try to get all the cars to be switched over to electric by 2040. A bid to exclude his invention and to uh, exclude him failed. Now with the signing of the Austin deal, it seems he is finally on the road to success. And he has secured about um, 108,000, I guess, 108,000 grant and pounds uh, for further research from the Advanced Propulsion Center, a partner of the Department of Business, Innovation, and Skills. His technology has been validated by two French universities. And uh, he says, it's been a tough battle, but I'm finally making progress. From every logical standpoint, this is the way to go. And uh, Jackson began working on new ways of powering electric vehicles after a distinguished engineering career. And we wish him well. He worked for Rolls-Royce, by the way. In the, yeah, in a derby. So that guy, uh, man, I hope that uh, we get that technology in every electric car. That would be kind of neat to be able to go on that kind of distance on an electric vehicle. Think about that. Guys, we're going to go on a quick commercial break. When we come back, we have our guest Dave Emmons on the line, and we have a lot to get to with him, including our encounters. And I really want you to sit back and uh, listen to uh, what he has to say. Uh, I'm going to read his synopsis or bio when, when we get back from break. So stick around. This is going to be a very fun episode of Inside the Jackal's Head. All right, everybody, welcome back to Inside the Jackal's Head right here live on PSN Radio. The sounds you're listening to there is my good friend Jesse Singer's uh, great song, Good Friends. And a uh, special uh, shout-out to them. Of course, he is of uh, Ufinot Radio fame, and you guys remember that show here on PSN Radio. Ran for a long time. Ufinot Radio was a great show, and it dealt with the world of ufology. And our contacts was a, one of our uh, favorite topics. Me and Jesse would go over abduction cases and talk about, uh, you know, our personal encounters and sightings. And and, and it was always something that I've, I've been interested in. As everybody who's followed this show knows, that's one of my favorite uh, subjects to bring up because I always felt that the best thing in ufology is to actually talk to the people that are having the experiences because you can doctor video, you know, nowadays any 12-year-old in the mom's basement can keep, you know, create something nicer YouTube. It's doable. But the gentleman who's going to be on with us right now 
in a in a section who's uh, just waiting patiently there, Mr. Dave Emmons. You know, he is a, a person who's not only an extraterrestrial contact experiencer, uh, but he also claims to have been, like I said, a trainee in the top secret nuclear weapons department of the military intelligence, but did not like the constant military intelligence interviews and did not like the pressure that he was subjected to. Who the heck does? And, and you know, God bless you for being in that position, Dave, because let me tell you, I could not hack working military intelligence. I can only imagine the kind of pressure you were in. And uh, thank you for being on here with us. And I wanted you know, to say that, uh, you know, you're going to really, I think, blow the minds of a lot of folks that are listening in tonight because your story, and I've been doing a lot of research on you, it's a, a very in, interesting and intriguing uh, one that I think most folks who have not heard it are going to really, really uh, uh, be convinced as to, you know, what's been going on. Because I think UFOs and a lot of the political stuff and all the stuff that's happening with the world right now, it's all interconnected. So I want to welcome you on formally. You've never been on this show before, so thank you so much for spending the hour here with us. Well, thank you, Angel, and I'm uh, glad to be here and uh, talking to you from Miami. Uh, I'm from Illinois. You're from Miami. Let's get that straight. Uh, a little bit of my background, <laughs> as, as you alluded to, uh, I, I I come out of high school uh, on the honor roll, and I was above average in, uh, I guess, IQ. So I went uh, directly, after I worked a little bit, I went directly into the military at a young age. I got into a top-secret program, nuclear weapons training, and uh, it was that pressure that you were talking about that caused me to get out at at 20 years of age. I was in a class with mostly master's degree people, and they were older than me. And, of course, I was holding my own at about 89 or 90 percent in the class, so I couldn't get out. So I had to go through, uh, I guess, some some flips and jumps to to get out. I had to go to the post chaplain to get me out of the class because I didn't like it. I didn't like the pressure. Number one, of being a young guy at only 20 years of age, and then they said they was going to send us to Sandia, and that meant I was in New Mexico, and that meant that I'd probably go underground and never see light. I, I was right. young enough to believe that that was kind of scary. So I I got out of that, but I ended up. Actually, just a few months later, ended up going to Vietnam, and I was a, a combat uh, platoon sergeant. And uh, and I had a platoon over there for about a year. Of course, that's our, our usual stint in the in the combat. So the combat kind of helped me, I guess, uh, take a look at this ET and UFO subject uh, with a little bit more confidence and not, not so much afraid of it. Sure, when it happens, you're afraid. I mean, you're shaking. When things happen and you see things that, that you're not used to seeing, uh, that's, that's the thing about uh, UFOs and ETs. It, it, it does scare you when you first see one and you say, wow, there is another world out there. There are other life forms out there. And to most people, when they see that, uh, I think that's what the government's afraid. They don't want a lot of people to, to go berserk or go crazy because right. they know that there's other life forms out there. That's why they're protecting us. But I wish they wouldn't protect us. I, I think we do have some disclosure coming out slowly. It's coming in dribbles, and that, to me, is, is good. But most of my other background is in uh, I went to school, uh, college for journalism, so that's why I'm, in, uh, I'm curious about investigations. I, I've done some radio in the past. 
Uh, I've worked uh, as a as a owner of a restaurant and a nightclub, and I played music most all my life. So I've got around pretty much. I've done a lot of things in my lifetime. Uh, but some of the things that uh, I think I started with this thought with UFOs and ETs uh, when I was 14 years of age. And, and this is the first story or the, the beginning of my UFO ET encounters. So that was a long time ago, Angel. Let me stop right there because that was a long time ago. First, I want to thank you for your service, and, and especially in Vietnam. Um, I don't think that the folks that fought over there, they came back alive, get thanked enough. So we'll no, we had moment. we had to come back in the dark. Yeah. Uh, they wouldn't yeah. let us get off the plane until it was uh, dark, and so people wouldn't protest against us, and they wouldn't see us coming in. So yeah. that's yeah. I, I think that the, the veterans nowadays, uh, people coming back from war, they're, uh, they're they're starting to give them credit, and they're starting to take care of them better. And I I just I like that. I, I like seeing that that the our our, uh, our men and women are treated well when they come back, and that's very important to me. That, to me, you know, that's one of uh, the main things I, I talk about here now on the show. And uh, it, it, to me, those folks who put their life on the line to protect our freedoms, and, uh, you know, there's a lot of conspiracy that people talk about, you know, whether it's NASA or the military or the government or this or that. we got to understand that the people fighting the actual war our own, you know, there are boys and girls here, and there are sons and daughters, and they're over here in other countries giving their lives. So we right. can sit here right. and have this podcast and talk about UFOs. So, you know, that's one thing that uh, is really near and dear to me. And, uh, again, I don't think we thank them enough. And, and it's getting better, though, and, and part of that is technology. Part of that is uh, the government is now starting to become aware. You know, one piece of... Uh, News was recently was uh, I forget the actor's name um, John Stewart I believe is the uh, the, the actor the comedian really? John, John Stewart yeah. yeah he went to Congress and uh, he was talking about the firefighters and how they weren't getting compensated for what they did in nine eleven I'm like well I think you know the veterans that are still around from Vietnam should have somebody champion their cause the same way because there was a lot of mistreatment of those veterans that came over from Vietnam in, in particular when they landed here. And like you said, you, to, you guys have to come in the dark uh, because the boys that came back alive were really, really treated badly. And, in fact, if you go back to the, the backstory of uh, Rambo, the movie, uh, what's that, you know, talking about the way that he came back and look how society treated him. And that wasn't right, too yeah. far off from what really, really was happening. And it's... Uh, a shame that we went through that period in this country where they were so disrespected, and these are the, the folks giving their lives for our freedoms. So, uh, thank you for your service. Thank you. Okay. And uh, I guess Angel, I guess I should start with my first uh, uh, UFO observation uh, sighting. Let's get, yeah, uh, let's get into that because uh, there, there's uh, a correlation. I wanted to just uh, you know to know between what you saw, I think, and something that I saw as a kid, but. Go ahead and, and uh, tell the audience uh, this uh, amazing story here. Go ahead. Okay, this was uh, it was we just got out of school, kind of summertime. I couldn't, I don't know the exact date or time. I didn't keep records. I have an event ledger now that I keep records on. I got 260 typewritten pages. Uh, I thought about writing a book. 
but um, I just I don't know about writing a book. Uh, I I don't uh, right now. I'm not peddling a book and I'm not pushing a book. What I want to do is is put the word out the best I can, and this is probably one of the the mediums I can probably do that in. So in '63, 1963, my buddy and I were sitting on some steps. And it was just right outside his uh, basement apartment with his dad. He lived with his dad and his uncle. And we, we sat there and we had a, a Pepsi Cola and that's, that was, and a, we listened to 10 transistor radio back then. That was the big end thing. So we heard the radio starting to snap and crack. And I asked my friend, I said, Hey, didn't you put new batteries in there? He said, Yeah, I just did tonight. And, uh, then we smelled something that smelled like, uh, sulfur. And it was actually, as I went through the years of research, that's ozone. Uh, that's what happens when something comes in hot through our atmosphere, and right. uh, you get nitrogen, hydrogen, oxygen all burning together, and it makes a, a sulfur dioxide type of, uh, a, a, I guess, vapor, and that smells like sulfur. So kind of took me a while to figure that one out uh, through, through research, but... We then we saw a couple of lights. It was kind of like a small bright lights coming over the neighborhood, and this was a small neighborhood, not a huge neighborhood, up on top of a hill in Alton, Illinois. And uh, we we looked at it. And we said, "Oh, what's that?" So we went up onto the road. The steps went up to the road. We went up the road, got in his dad's truck, and got a flashlight. And my friend flashed uh, the the flashlight at this this uh, uh, craft. We didn't know if it was a craft or not until we got a good look at it. Then we walked up the street and got in this empty lot, and which was right above where I lived, my backyard. So this, this UFO, this uh, saucer, just was about 75 feet in the air, and it just sat there right in my up above my backyard. And we stood there looking at it. And we kept pinching each other, and we couldn't believe what we were looking at. <laughs> and we, we we saw it was kind of like one of those bubbly old time tops that you see that you crank. Uh, okay. It was kind of uh, like it was kind of like chubby. It had uh-huh. like three roll like three rolls on it, and it was about thirty feet wide, probably about fifteen feet or so high. And the second roll of of uh, I guess the, the second line of of the of the uh, design had the windows in it. And uh, I looked at my friend and I said, I don't want to see them looking out. I don't want to see what they look like. Uh, I was I was afraid. I said, I didn't want to see them. And, and then on top, it had a, a, a small a top on it, like a little uh, about three-foot cap like on it, and had two uh, metal rods or something sticking up in which could have been antenna. And that's I guess they they're they're talking to each other in some sort of frequency because that's what I noticed on this craft it had antenna and I that was funny being only 14 and and noticing that I said wow they must communicate on radio I thought maybe we could communicate with them but mm-hmm. uh but we 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 stood there for a while and and I think we lost track of time, not think. I know we lost track was it of making, time. Was it, making, uh, was it making a lot of noise? Uh, or was it silent? No noise at all. I forgot okay. that part of it. No noise yeah. at all. Now, it, 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 was like, it, it looked like an upside down uh, teardrop, kind of like that's more or less what we described it, right? Yeah, but a little saucer shape. Uh, let's say, okay. let's call it a fat, sauce, a fat saucer, a little chubby saucer. 
okay. with three layers. Like it looked like the old. I hate to say this, bring this up, but it looked like the old Nazi, uh, uh, you know, the bell. UFO or saucer that they created. Not the bell, not the okay. bell. The actual saucer. That oh, they, the, the, the Hanabu design. Would it be the Hanabu? I'm not quite sure what they called it. There were several names of some of the experimental craft they had, and yeah. I'm not quite sure what they called it. But it had that. I remember it had the Nazi sign on the side. Mm-hmm. It kind of looked like that uh, that uh, experimental saucer that the Nazis were playing with. So, uh, well, you know, they were involved with uh, some kind of alien technology themselves. So, who knows? Uh, you know, the the real group. Uh, there was a real group that helped them uh, with a lot of their scientific stuff. And well, as, uh, as a lot of people have been reporting over the years, Hitler was deep into the occult. And, yeah, you're, you're uh, right, the reports are that he was deep into uh, UFOs and, and they were apparently working on some very crazy designs. And we're talking about right. the time of the 40s. Folks, right think about that. Yeah, this is yeah late thirties and, and early forties. The real society there was about twelve of them, and they had women with long hair, and they kept the long hair because they said they can they can uh, pick up the uh, communications from uh, ETs from from out of this out of, off of this planet. But that wasn't the the thing that I noticed. If you take a good look, there was a a woman who had long blonde hair. And she was the leader of this group, and this is who Hitler uh, they spoke to. And uh, she was she was ahead of her time. If you take a look at her picture, she was kind of like uh, didn't look like uh, you know she was a pretty woman, and she didn't look like a lot of them that was pictured in the in the German uh, race there. But that they said that at the end of the war, and they they, they said this is how Hitler escaped. And, they, there were about 12 of them that took off and got into this uh, saucer-shaped thing. People uh, in the town of Berlin, northern Berlin, where they took off from, they, they said they saw them get on this, this uh, saucer-shaped thing. They didn't say saucer, but some kind of a strange craft, and it took right. off. And they think Hitler was in that group of 12 people, and that blonde uh, with the real society, she was the leader of that group. So... That, that goes back into uh, Antarctica, where they say there's bases down in Antarctica. So uh, besides that, well, getting back to my story here, the I, I guess what it must have been an hour and a half. Uh, my bu- uh, buddy and I, we talk every once in a while. We we still talk about that incident, and but we can't really put our finger on the time. We think it started around 10:30, and we didn't get into our homes until around midnight or so. So there was an hour and a half that went by, and we really don't know what happened. But I kind of figured out as time went on. First, uh, when I went to the house, my mom had it locked up, of course. She was mad because I come in so late. So that's how I knew it was late. I didn't know what time. Uh, as, a, as a kid, I didn't keep track of time like that. So, but <laughs> Who does I, as a I, kid, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we, we don't want to, yeah. But yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, later on, I mean... Here, just several years ago, I, I, I drew out a picture of the craft, and I had a position to where my friend and I were standing in this empty lot, and then I, I took a look at where it took off from. It was in the southwest as we were looking towards it. Uh, it was 75 feet above my backyard. And then when it took off, it just zoomed straight out real fast into the clouds. 
and it went directly into the west. So it must have moved maybe 45 degrees, and we didn't know it, or we didn't see it move. We just saw it just sitting there. So that tells me we were we were hit by a tractor beam or something. Mm. I remember uh, I had some regressed memories that uh, my buddy and I, what him and I said, and he forgot that we was talking to each other. And I do have some of the things we said. I can't, I haven't want to, uh, I've been making notes of them, but it was kind of like him and I were talking about being scared and we don't know what we're going to do and, and that type of thing. And, but we don't, uh, it was, I don't remember that conversation in a way I did in a regress dream. Also I remember being on a, a metal table and I couldn't put my shirt on. The shirt was too small. And my buddy was smaller than me, and I was always a, a kind of a Humpty Dumpty type of guy. And and this and I and I was bigger. I had a bigger shirt, so I couldn't put the shirt on. I had a hard time. And I was really groggy. I was on, really groggy on the table. I remember. Uh, but I, I ended up with my shirt back on some way or another when I went into the house. Uh, I remember that part of it. But the real, the I usually go when I do. Anything, I, like I said, I was trained uh, as a, a journalist, uh, investigator. And so I, what I do is I try to methodically look at things. I keep notes. And always, there's always, when something happens, there's always something that follows up. Mm-hmm. There's always something. Uh, some people have paranormal. I've had paranormal activity also after each of them. But this time, about a month later, I, I found my first implant. And this was in when I was, I was about 14. It was only a month later. And I saw a little line that was cut. It must have been maybe 5, 16, 7 inch long. It was just a little red line in my left testicle. And I felt a little knot uh, underneath that cut line. And I thought, what was that? You know, I, and I, I kept pushing on it and, and trying to squeeze it out. And I got it uh, into that uh, cut line. I got the tip of it. I thought, okay, I can get the rest out. So I pushed the rest of it out finally after about five to seven minutes of pushing on it, and it finally popped out of my hand. And it was, it was about the size of an Advil tablet. It was, oh, it was wow. a shape like an Advil tablet, uh, and it, it was kind of tan, uh, light, uh, light brown tan uh, color. And at, the longer I had it out in my hand, when the air got to it, it started turning darker brown. I showed it to my mom, and she says, throw that thing away. And I said, but mom, I said, this is something weird. She said, that's not weird. She said, it's probably a blackhead. And I said, but no, <laughs> I said, there was a line. There was a, there was a cut where it was at. There was a line that it was put in and I took it out. And she kind of looks you, at me, doesn't say did anything. You, did you try to scrape at it with like a knife or something to see if you could no. cut through it? No. No, I, no, I threw it away in the garbage. Uh, I don't know if I did or my mom took it and threw it away. Uh, but she she wouldn't have no you know no part of it you know so uh, but of course this was back in the '63 right I was four I was 14 I didn't know anything so and we didn't know much about uh, ETs or UFOs uh, I heard about UFOs when I was a kid we used to watch the monster shows uh, the Men from Mars things right. of that nature uh, but we didn't know anything other than that uh, they kept it pretty well quiet. Uh, Project Blue Book was going on at the time, and they were trying to shut everything down. So we didn't get all that information. 
back then, and it wasn't like today. Now, anything that goes out there it immediately goes viral. Uh, there was no internet or anything back then. So yeah, I mean, you would you know, be virgin to all that information. Uh, but here's the crazy thing in your story there. That's the part that we kind of share a, a, a very interesting connection. Uh, when I was a kid, a little bit younger than you were, I, I, would, I was living in California at the time, and I had a very similar experience with a friend of mine. We were outside playing, and I've documented this on the show before years ago, so anybody who is hearing now can go back and, and research the page where I have my audio. You can see that I'm not kidding. I've talked about this at length. And I saw something very similar. I saw an object in the sky. It stood there for a few uh, minutes, and then it just shot straight up to the west and disappeared. Now, I was living in California at the time. This is in the 80s. And I didn't think that it was alien or extraterrestrial because it wasn't something that was in my mind at the time. I didn't really think of uh, of the subject. You know, I had no clue what aliens meant. I was a, I was a kid. And, uh, but I did notice that as soon as it shot up and disappeared, it got dark very quick. Um, now, I, I didn't keep measure of time or anything like that because, again, I was a kid playing outside of the friend. But it was about maybe 3 p.m., 4 p.m. when, when we saw the object. And then as soon as it disappeared, uh, within maybe 20, 30 minutes, it just started getting dark and nighttime happened. And I always, you know, my entire life, I was always like, wait a second, you know, how did, it never jived correctly for me that that happened like that. But I never really thought that I had been abducted or anything. Uh, now as I've gotten older, I had another experience here in Florida, and that was with my father, who uh, was in the room, and he, we saw the same thing in the sky, some kind of object. And uh, I've always thought, well, it could be E.T., and uh, maybe not. I have no idea what it could be. But I, that always, when I was listening to some of you know you talk about your story on other podcasts, that that really connected because it was very similar to my experience. And uh, I've often wondered if I have an implant myself because I do have a piece of something on my uh, right part of my, of my face that's been there since I was that age. It just there's like a little. Uh, it's, I, I would assume it's like a little piece of metal or plastic or something. Uh, but I've never had it surgically removed. It's still there, and that's something that I've been thinking about. You know, having the surgeon go in there and, and pulling it out. I tried to squeeze it out for a while, and it wouldn't come out. And it was one of those things that happened from one moment to the other. Now, uh, with the, when you squeezed out there, um, have you found any other uh, implants or anything like that since? Before you continue right. the story. Uh, yeah, your implant now, can you feel it when you touch it? You move it around? Definitely. Yeah, well, it, you can't move it around too much, but you can still feel it, which is crazy. It's never gone away. It's, it's still there. Yeah, yeah uh, you ever I'm have X-rays right or sonograms? Yeah. I have not gotten that route, but I've been thinking about it. Yeah, I, I yeah. I've had uh, sonograms uh, of my head. Nothing's uh, in my head, not even my brain. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that sometimes. Believe me. Yeah, <laughs> right. But uh, no, I the other implants. Since we're on implants, the one that I did I, I did find in my left calf of my left leg, and I saw a little round red spot 
Why okay. is it's cert, it's a certain red? I don't know. You know, we we can we can uh, uh, you know stick a needle in ourselves and it'll kind of like bleed and turn a little blood red. But this right. is a different kind of red. This is kind of a pinkish red. And I recognized the hole. I saw the hole in my calf, just a small one, and it itched. So I scratched it, and when I did, a, a bubble of blood popped up. And so I took a napkin and dabbed it off. And when I did, I pulled out something that looked like dark charcoal. It was in an odd shape, uh, and it was about uh, probably, here we're going again, about five sixteenths of an inch long, and it's probably uh, an eighth of an inch wide. And I... I I took it and put it uh, out where I can take pictures of it. I started taking pictures of it, and then I put it in a plastic bag because I noticed that it started, uh, you know, disintegrating. And I think they're made to disintegrate. This is kind of a carbon-based uh, implant in which the, the aliens use because it's body-friendly to us. It doesn't cause right. uh, infection or abscess because if it did, then it would come out or a doctor would have to take it out. So they know that. And so they, they use something that's body-friendly. And with the metal implants, uh, of course, it, it could be something like our titanium, in which is body-friendly. It doesn't affect the body. N and neither does silver, uh, really. Uh, certain silver, I guess, might right. has some uh, has some impurities in it. But they know what to put in our bodies that, that won't cause any attention or pain. Uh, so I, I had that one, and I got a lot of pictures of it as it disintegrated. I give it to a photographer. I thought maybe he could put it under a microscope and really look at it really well. And he had it for about five days, and he didn't. He he sent back pictures that I had already taken. I said, "Is this the best you can do?" And uh -huh. I said, "I got those." And then I I finally decided to take a a, a microscope. It's kind of a, a, a I guess a basic microscope in which I have uh, with me that I use. And uh, I took my camcorder, believe it or not, a Sony camcorder stuck the lens up to it, and I took pictures of it through that uh, that microscope with a camcorder, and I couldn't believe I could do that. But I tried all my cameras, and I tried that one, and it worked. It was it was kind of like 6X, uh, where it really magnified things, and I got some decent pictures of it, uh, but not, not the pictures before it really disintegrated. As I freshly had it, I took it to a little conference in the Springfield, Illinois, and I had a, a scientific friend of mine. She was an elderly lady, and she was a biologist, and, and she worked at St. Louis University in the lab. And she took a look at this thing, and she said, and she was into UFOs and crop circles. She was a researcher also, and a really good one. Uh, and uh, she looked at this thing. She goes, my God, I've never seen anything so ugly. It looked <laughs> like brain neurons. Uh, it looked oh, like wow. little brain neurons. It was breaking off from the carbon. That would make perfect sense because I mean that would connect to your tissues and connect directly to your to your body type. Right, right. Yeah. That's uh, it, yeah, it did make sense. But I, I wish I would have got pictures of of that uh, where it was breaking off his brain neurons because that would have been that would have been the key thing. But what happened is it disintegrated so much as I had it, I didn't get the proper pictures at that time. It started shrinking and disintegrating. I kept it airtight. And it's still, uh, once it hits the air, I yeah, think these ETs yeah. design it like that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, that, that would make sense. That's how you keep uh, people from really finding out what you know what it's made of and what it signals it might be emitting. Now, it sounds like, it, you know, with what, you know, you were 
uh, when you pulled out of your body, it sounds more like you were getting tagged uh, because uh, it, it, you know you were able to squeeze this thing out. I have not been able to squeeze one out of my face. I mean, I don't know how permanent it's, it's in there now, but uh, and it's right between the the actual facial cheeks, you know, the inside and the outside of my face. So there's not a lot of tissue in between, and other than cutting it out from the outside or the inside. There's no way that I can get, you know, a thing to come out. So I, it's a, I don't know if it's a different kind of uh, metal or anything. Now, the one positive, I've never been stopped at the airport because the metal detector went out or anything like that. Uh, so that's a good thing. Uh, but it, it, uh, well, that, I have. I have. That's how I was going to bring I, up. You've experienced this, and that that's what boggles my mind because I haven't. Well, uh, my, my experience has not been that a metal detector went off. I went through the metal detector just fine. It's when you go into this machine that goes around you. It's on international uh-huh. flights. It yep. goes around you. You hold your arms in the air. Uh, and it actually it, it, it emits frequencies, not x-rays. Uh, so the frequencies, it hits your body. And if there's something that's not supposed to be on your body, it shows up. Well, I had orange spots show up across my chest and my shoulder. Uh, about oh, wow. five little orange round uh, things. And when I got through, my wife said, come on, honey, let's go. Uh, let's pack our stuff and, and get on the plane. I said, and then this guy grabbed me by the arm, and it kind of hurt. And he, the TSA agent, he looked at me and says, you're not going nowhere. I said, what's wrong? I thought I, I thought I was had. You know, you're always afraid when TSA calls your attention. Yeah, so yeah no kidding. <laughs> he, yeah, he showed me the, the human silhouette on the machine. He said, see those things there? I said, they're, yeah, orange spots. He said, I said, what are they? He says, I don't know, but they're not supposed to be there. I've never seen them before. So they drug me off to the side. They didn't do a strip search, but just close to it. Uh, they, they took metal uh, and they, they rubbed all kinds of, uh, I guess, uh, these things that they're supposed to pick up uh, their swabs or something. They swab your arms and your face and uh, your chest, and they make sure there's no, uh, d- you know, chemicals on there, bomb-making chemicals. And right. so I, I, they, I was clean. I was just, you know, everything was fine. But they kept staring at me, and uh, they said, okay, you can go, but carry this card to the uh, the airline attendant. And it was a red card, and it said something on it. I didn't pay much mind to it. And I guess it was to say, watch this guy, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was scared. I was scared of that because I'm not, I've never committed a crime. Uh, I was never in jail. I got a speeding ticket, even fought that. You know, so I, I tried to stay clean most of my life. Of course, uh, all of us can have be arrested for something, I guess, if they, they wanted to, they really wanted to dig and dig and dig like they do in the, in politics. They, they do that and they can, they can always find dirt on some, everybody, I guess. So, what, what I felt is I felt like a criminal. I said, well, wow, they're treating me like a criminal. So I did that flight, and about a year and a half later, I took another international flight with my wife, and and I told my wife that I hope these orange spots don't show up. One of them was in Fairbanks, Alaska, where we lived for two years up there, and then the other one was in Seattle before I jumped the flight to Tokyo, and they found the same thing, the orange spots. I looked at the guy, and I said, this has happened before. He said, what do you mean this happened before? I said, it happened about a year or so ago, sir. And he, he said, those orange spots? I said, yes, sir, those spots. He said, you know the drill then? I said, yes, I do. So I stood to the side, and they went over me, and, 
everything. And they didn't give me a card this time. They they just let me go, and they just kept looking at me like I was I was crazy or something. I don't know what it was, but yeah, those showed up. And I had a a gal. I was on the with Grant Cameron. He had a group experiencer uh, mm-hmm. a meeting, and there was about fifteen of us on there. I mentioned something about the orange spots because they were talking about. Uh, being picked up uh, at TSA with metal and stuff in your body. And I mentioned the, the orange spots, and this lady said, well, I had those. A couple of years ago, I had orange spots on me. And I said, really? And and she, I said, have you been abducted? She said, well, I've seen some things pretty close up, and I've been around that kind. I said, well, you know, you've probably been abducted, and you got some kind of energy frequency that they tagged you with, you know. And so uh, so I, I tried you know, I tried to, I, I felt, I thought, wow, that's neat. Somebody else has these same orange spots. Uh, so there was a TSA agent. I think she was retired and she says, uh, write me an email. And she said, I'll, I'll tell you, uh, what, you know, what we might think it is. And she said, she said the TSA is very secretive about things. I never did write her, never did, uh, you know, look to find out, but, uh, yeah, I, I, that that was the only thing that ever showed up on any test that I know. Uh, the other thing that uh, that showed up, they, like an EKG or something, they run on me. I got so much electricity in my body that a lot of times my camera won't take pictures for me. I can't push the little button on my on my iPhone 10 to take a picture. Maybe it'll go off one time. Next time it mm-hmm. won't go off. I have to get somebody else to do it. And my wife complains about me having electricity in my body when I touch her. So like static electricity charge. Yeah. You're overcharged uh, yeah. with static. Okay. Right. I, I, I'll, I can get to the story of an abduction where I think I got that, uh, that charge. Please. And uh, yeah. uh, maybe I'll go through that to explain this electrical charge. Uh, this was after I, I ran into the, uh, the alien hybrid in Sedona. 2010, October 4th. I'll oh, never wow, forget that day. That's recent, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, 2011 is when I had the the implant in my my leg. I took out. So yep. it, uh, those those. And then I I've had in 1996. I saw a little green guy next to my bed, and uh, I had fear for about five or six seconds, and then I just kind of went out. Uh, uh, that that's I thought it was my my adopted daughter that come in the room because she went to the medicine cabinet to get aspirins because she had a headache and my ex wife was was asleep and I saw a dark shadow going across the mirror at the foot of the bed I, I figured I better get into this story since I started talking <laughs> I got so I got I got a lot of things I can I can talk about but it you know uh, we can burn up a lot of time talking about it but. Uh, this dark shadow went across the mirror. My wife always, ex-wife always liked to keep it dark in that room because she could sleep better that way. Well, this, I looked, looked at it and I called out her name a couple times. I got on my elbow and I looked up and I said, I said her name a couple times, no answer. And then this, this dark figure walked around to the side of my bed where I was at. I took a look and all I could see were big eyes. It didn't have the, the black lenses like you see the little grays with the, right. the big black eyes. This had pupils, uh, okay. white. Kind of like a, like a leprechaun-looking little green guy, almost leprechaunish. Yeah, yeah, really, really wrinkled. More wrinkled okay. than the smooth uh, grays that they, they uh, picture on commercial use. This guy was so wrinkled, you know, it's just, 
and it, it was scary. He's this, he's kind of a dark gray green in the, in the darkness. And uh, I couldn't tell the exact color. He had to be a gray green. And, uh, but his eyes were huge. I didn't see a nose or anything uh, protruding from his head because it was dark. But all I could see was his eyes. And he looked at me and I, and I had fear, like I said, for about five or six seconds. And then I went out. So when I went out, he must have performed a few things on me. Maybe an implant, maybe a DNA sample, and maybe a semen sample. Uh, I could almost say he did take a semen sample because I uh, later on down the line running into this uh, uh, hybrid, alien hybrid in 2010, I believe I saw the results of that in 2011, March of 2011. Uh, but that's all, I, that's all I saw that night. I asked the wife, said, did you see or hear anything? And she goes, no. Shut up and go to bed. Well, my eyes were batting like a nervous tick. It was like, kind of like I was hit with some kind of energy, and my eyes kept blinking. I couldn't stop them. I went in the bathroom, threw cold water in my face, and I tried to stop my eyes from blinking. It was I don't, I don't know what he did to me, but he was using some kind of a magnetic force uh, to, to keep me asleep or keep me from moving. So uh, that's all I can think of. Wow. That's an amazing story, and uh, you know. Ted, let me ask you a particular question: Are you a, a religious man? Do you believe in uh, historical lore? Uh, because I, I asked the question there, and this is part of my theory of what's happening here. Uh, when you mentioned the, the description of the creature, it almost has a, a crossover of shadow people and leprechauns. And part of my uh, theory is that it's all connected to aliens and UFOs, and it's been stuff that we've misdiagnosed or misinterpreted in the past. Uh, did this uh, being communicate verbally at all with you? No, I uh, just now? looked at me. Yeah. He just looked at me, and actually, when he looked at me, he gave me a calming feeling because I I laid back, and uh, it was kind of like saying everything's okay, uh, you know, just. Just take it easy. So when I did, I laid back, put my arm down, and I, I fell out. I fell asleep or was knocked out, uh, one of the two. So, uh, yeah, I, I didn't know anything after that. Uh, they claim that 50% of the people that's been wow. abducted uh, don't know they've been abducted. Right. So there's, yeah. a, there's a lot of people out there that's been abducted, and they don't know it. Uh, so I... I I think there's a lot for us to learn, like you like you said about the, but uh, we we misidentified a lot of uh, creatures in the past, and and uh, uh, so yeah. But I think it has something to do with ET. I even think that Ghost uh, Bigfoot mm-hmm. has a lot to do with ET uh, dimensional forces, because uh, there are there are dimensional. Uh, ETs, extraterrestrial, extra uh, dimensional. They call them interdimensional people. Right. Uh, are being beings. Yes. So we're we're inundated by uh, several different kinds of of uh, entities or ETs. Uh, the spiritual ET is supposed to be, from what I understand, the highest form of all ETs, and they're supposed to be pure energy. And or light I believe. Like beans, and, and and let me stop you there for a second because you know there's something very interesting in the way we perceive reality. You know, we live in a three-dimensional world, but we live also on what you know science is now kind of uh, saying. It, it's almost like we're on on a, a wave, 
right? We're, we're riding a wave. Right. And that, that goes back even to Einstein's theory of relativity. Uh, and you can even look at the Bible. The Bible says when God made the universe, the heavens, and the earth, he said, let there be light. The fact that God spoke, he created the first wave, whether it's the earth or the, the entire universe, the fact that there was some kind of a being that said, let there be light, means, you know, that we're riding some kind of a wave. That's the way I interpret it. So, and, and, you know, remember, we're talking, about, we're talking about different times when something is written thousands of years ago compared to 500 years ago to now and how we interpret things. Uh, I think that's what they were getting at in the Bible when, when they said things like, and God said that let them be light. That, to me, I interpret that as whoever the creator is, you know, put us on this wave. And when we talk about interdimensional beings and getting to that, I think what's happening is the waves are getting crossed and we're experiencing other dimensions that are being able to cross over because, you know, Art Bell put this beautifully in the uh, 90s and the early 2000s before he retired. He said that the veil was dropping between dimensions, between realities, and I completely agree with that. I think as more and more technology, you know, advances, we're going to see more abilities to be able to communicate with other dimensions, and it's going to be through waves and a different form of those kind of technologies, because that, I believe, is what reality is. We're riding a, a cosmic wave at the moment. Right. Where our light, reality stains light on. frequency. Yeah, light frequencies. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, you, were, you were asking me, uh, Angel, a while ago about uh, religious uh, thoughts or ideas. Well, I take a look at the Bible. And it makes more sense to me after being through a lot of things that I've been through and seeing things that uh, that lets me know there's something else going on out there. Uh, I do know that we go to somewhere else when we leave this body. That's a fact. Now, that's something yep. that a lot of people say, well, you believe in UFOs. That's the devil. No, it's not the devil. It's letting us know that there's something else out there and we are going somewhere after we leave our bodies here. So if you take a look at the body, uh, the Bible, the genealogy in the Bible and also the uh, historical records of locations of cities and the archaeology, they've been proving a lot of that. Now, the genealogy, yeah. uh, even when Noah, uh, they said Noah was a tall, uh, pale, white guy with piercing uh, blue eyes and blonde hair, and he was taller than the uh, average person back in those days. Right. Uh, so uh, that could have been, uh, you know, Let's, I hope I don't offend anybody, but I'm, I'm thinking that there's a bloodline that the ETs put in there that uh, you got the tall white aliens and, and uh, this type of thing. But actually, Noah, you know, spread his, his genealogy went down the line. It's just like with, with uh, King David in the Bible, mm -hmm. Solomon, right. Solomon. And also, uh, 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 Virgin Mary had a bloodline from uh, King David. They were in the same bloodline, and Jesus was part of that bloodline. Right. Uh, if you can, you know, just picture it. They they kept it. That bloodline was something special, apparently. And when Jesus was born, and the angels showed up, of course, angels to me are uh, the light people, like you said, are the ETs. And Jesus was sent here to teach us, to teach us that there's another side of life. There's another rebirth that we that happens to us. And I, I don't, you know, it's like 
he talked in parables and in the Bible, in a lot of the, the uh, you know, the text in the Bible, you'll read it. it it's actually, he, he talks simple because the people back then, they weren't even above our first grade level, uh, most of them, 80, 90% of them. So he had to talk that way. And so that's how he tried to tell them things. And the, 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 his uh, people that he had with him, uh, around him, and the, and the, the little uh, meetings he had with people, he would talk in simple terms. Because people couldn't understand anything above right. that, so I, I think he was a, a light uh, being. Uh, he was a, uh, of course, he was man, and then he was also the spiritual. They say, uh, what is that? Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. Uh, right, the, the, Holy the, Ghost the Holy Trinity. Could be the light. Yeah. Right. Uh, the Holy Trinity. And, and real quick, uh, I don't know if you if you've ever researched uh, the uh, Buddha. And, uh, the teachings of, uh, the Buddha. But there's, uh, in the, uh, the monk's, uh, you know, description of the Buddha, there is a time in, a, in, we're talking about 2,000 years ago, the time of Jesus, where a, uh, man from the Mediterranean, as they described it in their writings, named Isu, was, uh, very young and he spent time learning about the afterlife in, with the Buddha. And, uh, he is described as what we, you know, come to believe the modern day Jesus kind of looks like. And, uh, they called him Isu, which of course the Dean is translatable in many different forms and ways. Uh, now we call him Jesus. Uh, now have you looked into that at all? The connection? I know, I, I know a little bit about Buddha and I know a little bit about other religions and they have, they all have, there's different roads, but all yep. those roads lead to the same place. Uh, that's one of the big things I'm catching from, from taking a look. I'm not studied on, on a lot of this stuff like Buddha and everything, but I know basically what it's about. Uh, and, uh, it's, but yeah, every, every, uh, I guess religion, uh, uh has, has its beginnings, yeah. uh, like Muhammad, uh, you know, mm-hmm. uh, so they all have their same, they all have similar beginnings and it, and start, it, it has to be some intervention from ET to come in and and intervene with with certain individuals and and create this change i think actually we're being this world is being controlled by ets they bump us when we're kind of going this way or that way it's kind of uh they're just uh tweaking us uh, as we go and they're tweaking our dna also oh yeah uh, I believe we've that, got yeah. yep yeah, we got so many genius kids now. These little five, four and five year old kids that can play pianos like Mozart. You know, it's just, it's, uh, wow. You know, it's, it, it really, it's getting more and more where people are getting more intelligent and they don't, they don't even have to try very hard. Uh, so I, I, I see a, I see the, the human, I, I guess genome or DNA is, is, is actually is getting higher and higher as we go. And maybe the ETs have, have some responsibility for that uh, because we've taken spikes, uh, big spikes and big jumps in our technology throughout the years. And yep. in certain uh, periods of time, we jump from one place to another real quick. Oh, not only that, Dave, uh, you know, it, this is a, a very funny thing that I was checking out earlier tonight. Uh, remember, we come from a day and age where we didn't have, you know, big computers or 
you know, the internet or anything like that, because we're a little bit older than maybe some of the listeners. Uh, but now, uh, you know, five-year-olds, four-year-olds use tablets, and they can, you know, even before they learn how to read, they can go through these things and, and flip to different pages. You can imagine in 10 years, 15 years, I mean, when the virtual reality becomes a norm, kids, you know, 10, 11-year-olds are going to have virtual reality worlds they can interact with. And technology, I think, is the way we're not only indoctrinating the children of the world to think a certain way, but it's helping the evolution of the mind because technology is not, you know, unfortunately some people are going to use it for like to look up porn on the internet in the future or right. now. But you know, the people that are serious about being smart and learning are going to have like the entire planet at its fingertips, which we have that now with the internet. The internet is an early base technology of what the future holds. And it's scary because, you know, we used to be in this humongous world where everybody, you know, was apart, nobody knew each other. And now because of the internet, we're like a, you know, a tiny community where you could go online and you could have a billion friends on Facebook or Twitter or anything like that. And it's kind of like made this vast world that we live in into what really it is. It's a small marble, you know, going in the cosmos, floating in in vacuum of space. And it's changing the dynamic and the overall, you know, way we view the world, in in my opinion. And that's a big step in the uh, direction of the evolutionary path. I think, you know, you, you hit it on the head when, you know, the ETs have been manufacturing our society in a way. And one thing I do believe is, you know, we were kind of created, you know, I do believe that part of the story but at the same time i think they, there's agendas as to why we were created and then we were just left here in quarantine here which explains why we're not going back officially to the moon or to mars until like many years from now they always keep pushing things forward or back and they say yeah we're going to go back here in 10 years and then 10 years pass and we're like well we don't have the technology uh that we had when we went to the moon originally uh, how is that possible you know, how can you tell me that all these years later we don't have the technology that we had then to go to the moon? Yeah. Now, does that make any sense? But that's the world right. we live in, unfortunately. And I do think we're quarantined here. Right. I uh, We're talking about technology. I, I actually think the technology uh, is making us less friendly in a way. I remember the days back in the 50s and 60s where communications took place on a neighbor's front porch or out yeah. in their yard. And right. we talked face-to-face directly. We, we shook hands and we give each other hugs. But nowadays, it's, they're, so, they're getting totally, I guess, disjointed from the, the human race. And a yeah. lot of people, like take the millennials now, uh, I heard there's a lot of them not even dating because they don't know how to date. They right. don't get out and about. They, they get yeah. on their computers yeah. and they and their uh, computer junkies. Is is that good for our our, uh, our uh, human society? I I don't I don't think so. I think we, we're going to need to find some kind of an answer to to actually developing real friendships instead of like uh, computer uh, friendships because those aren't as strong. Uh, that you know you can you can get on the internet and be anybody and lie and say anything. And I, I'm, I'm not doing that now, and I, I swear to my, my Lord that I'm not doing that. I, w- I wouldn't come on here and lie uh, about anything that's happened to me. Uh, I don't. I take the lying pretty, uh, pretty badly. I don't. I don't like lying. I'm, I'm an honest person, and 
and uh, that's one of the things I guess I, I, I cherish from from my upbringing and also from uh, the religious ideas. I, I take away the religious ideas that Christ had, uh, love or forgive, and uh, and also, you know, to be honest, treat your fellow man correct, correctly or kindly, uh, you know, treat everybody with kindness. I, I believe in those words uh, that, that were spoken, and those were to teach us. Uh, I don't want to go any further on how I think about uh, Jesus, but that's where I kind of stop and say right. he was a he was a great teacher and he he was a, a, a person of a light being and uh, I, I don't know what else to say beyond that because a lot they don't have any record uh, actually of Jesus after the age of uh, twelve until he turned up when he was thirty years old and right. four years with his disciples so then they don't haven't found an archaeological record of him yet either and they have everybody else so far so not everybody but uh, the majority of the the people in the bible the biblical uh, times but uh, i guess i need to get back on topic on this uh on on the first uh, big abduction that i that i really knew mm-hmm. i was being abducted uh this was in 2011 this was after i met uh this uh alien hybrid and i'll have to get to that story to, to finish out probably but uh, I I was laying wasn't laying in bed yet. This is one thirty in the afternoon, bright sunny day, and it was a springtime day. And I was sitting at the computer, writing something or doing something, and I got really tired. Uh, I was really felt really exhausted. I don't usually get that way. I don't take naps at all during the day. If I do, it really messes me up. So I did. I lay one and lay down on the bed just to rest my back because I have a bad back. So I, I laid rest my back. And I was on, on my uh, elbow, and I was looking out my bedroom door, which was really bright and sunny. And I, uh, and then I, I, I heard a crackling and popping next to my bed. I mean, this was really loud. This is like if you stomped on a big box of saltine crackers, and it was just crunching and crackling. I tried to turn around and see what it was. When, when I did, a, a jolt of uh, electricity hit my shoulder. And it, it stunned me, and I couldn't move. And then I tried, I was able to move a little bit. I tried to move again. It hit me again, and I couldn't move. And I said, oh, my God, what's going on? This is not sleep paralysis. I had my, I can look at the door, and I didn't have fear. I mean, I didn't have fear of, uh, like, a sleep paralysis person, like somebody, like they talk about the old hag that sits on their chest and they can't breathe. Uh-huh, I didn't have uh-huh. those symptoms. I was wide awake, and I was very... I was in, you know, I was in in the connection with with the reality of what's going on, and then I heard my sister's voice from down the hall, uh, said, "Come on, Dave, you can do it, you can do it, Dave." I said, "Do what, sissy?" That's what I called her, and she said, "You can, you can, you can do it, do it." I said, "Do what? Come to the door and and show me, you know, come to the door and talk to me." Well, the reason why I told her to come to the door and talk to me because she's been dead, she's dead four years at that time. So she was a that was a, a a voice from the from the grave I guess you could say. Right. Uh so it was really loud and I, and I and I couldn't get her to the door. Uh then my left hand was up against my headboard and then something slipped into my fingers and it was a baby's hand. I touched his palm and I pulled down on his fingers. I was able to move the tips of my fingers and I and I pulled down on the fingers and I said that's a human baby hand. I said, what is going on? 
And I, I, all I could do, like I said, I could room eyes a little bit and just my, my fingertips. And then all of a sudden something sat beside me uh, near my hip area and it was real heavy. Uh, it felt heavy up against me. And, and, uh, I, I was, I started losing it then. And I, and here, here again, I come out with this religious thought and I said, uh, oh God, help me, you know, like that. And, uh, and just a few seconds after I said that, everything went away. Oh, and wow. I and I I slowly come back to myself when I I jumped out of the bed and I said, "What just happened? You know, this was weird." Uh, so I I talked to Doctor uh, David Jacobs. I believe it was him or one of the other. I've seen several of them in uh, Arkansas. I I get them mixed up, uh, but I talked to I think it was Jacobs, uh, and I I asked him about this uh, this, uh, this abduction. And I told him I was electrified, and he kind of smiled, and I said, well, you don't believe me? He said, oh, I believe you. He said, as soon as you start being, saying you were electrified, he says, you think you think you were being abducted at that time? I said, yeah. He said, no, they were done with you. They were bringing you back. He said, that's how they bring you back. He said, you're, 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 you know, you're brought back with uh, this uh, tractor beam or, or this electrical charge. And I said, oh, my goodness. And I said, well, the second time it happened, about... Two or three weeks later, I felt the shock on my shoulder again, and I was wide awake again. It was about 10 o'clock evening then, but I was wide awake. Uh, and then I felt it, and I tried to push it away, and I thought I pushed it away, and I said, oh, good, I fought this one off. And that's when he told me, no, you didn't. You were abducted again. They, they took you again. I said, wow. <laughs> but that's where the electrical shock comes in, and that's why I right. think I might have that energy. That makes a lot of sense. It's almost like you're paralyzed, and then they just snap you back into reality. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. That, that uh, would make perfect sense. Yeah. So I felt that shock three times. One time on my finger, in which I thought my finger was blown off, and I was laying there in bed. I wasn't near any electrical devices or anything, and my finger. I thought I turned on the light, and I thought my fingernail was off. I was bleeding or whatever, and nothing. It was nothing, but it really like a bolt, like like a hammer hit me on the end of the tip of the t- uh, finger. So it was that's the electrical charge that I felt three different times. Wow. Now, when you uh, talk at conventions and, and whatnot, uh, how are you know, the folks that are listening reacting to uh, this part of the story? Because this is a very physical uh, thing that's happening to you. I mean, this is not something that, you know, it's uh, just a story of something you saw. Now you're physically feeling uh, electrical charges going through your body. That's a little bit extra than what we normally hear when it comes to abductions. Right. Well, I studied sleep paralysis, and I've talked to people with sleep paralysis because academia, the first thing they're going to tell me is that was just sleep paralysis. I said, no, it wasn't. I've yeah, had sleep when you paralysis. get the charge, because I've had sleep paralysis. I've never gotten that charge. That, that's, right. Yeah. yeah, I've had sleep paralysis too. It's been some time ago. I guess maybe twenty, thirty years or longer that I've had any. Only once or twice in my life have I ever had that. But it didn't feel like this. This I was wide awake. I knew everything that was going on. When I had sleep paralysis one time, I just I couldn't move, and right. I was afraid. And my mind didn't catch up with my body. I think that's what they they say. Your mind is still not connected to your body. You you disjointed Correct. from sleep. In a deep sleep, so uh, no, it wasn't sleep paralysis. None of it was. Uh, so I can actually say that. And uh, also, I know a little bit about the frequencies of energy. I had. I, now, mind you, a lot of my 
abductions and things that happened, I sometimes didn't know that I was being abducted. Uh, these time, the, the times that I got electrocuted just about, I knew I was abducted. That was, you know, also with the little green guy next to my bed. And, but I've had some regressed dreams, a very, I mean, vivid, uh, regressed dreams. Uh, they were, they were so real that I, I actually communicated in them and I, uh, walked, somebody was walking me to my front door. And they had me by, uh, by the back of the shoulder. They had a hand or something on me. I tried to look around. I, I couldn't see anything. I guess they wouldn't let me move too much. So, but I was, they actually walked me to my front door from my bedroom and it was a metal door. I have a metal, you know, door that's uh, got the foam cushioning in the middle of it, but it's metal. I mean, it, it would hurt you if you got, if you slammed up against it. So right. they told me to walk through the door. I heard something telepathically tell me, walk through the door. And I said, no, I'll hurt my head. So what I did is I <laughs> stuck my hand, I stuck my hand out. And when I stuck my hand out, my hand went through the door. And I said, oh, wow. And I was kind of dazed and stupid. I said, Any, anybody getting a picture of this? This is weird. I'm sticking my hand through my door. And I left it in there for, for a little bit. Uh, and then I felt it burning something. It was really burning my arm and it was the frequency. I was on, I was in a higher frequency. They put me in a higher frequency so I can walk through objects. That's what, that's how they, they, uh, they get you from one place to another because yeah. they put this high frequency in you and around you. So I, I had my arm through the door and it was starting to hurt. It was starting to burn really bad. So I only had one choice it was to finish going through the door. And when I did, and I hopped out on my porch. I, I didn't know anything after that. That was it. Did so, you visually see anything as you're walking through the door? Like, did you see like the metal? I, I could see the door. Yeah, I could see yeah. my door, and I could see my living room as I was walking towards the door. Uh, I didn't see anything else. I, they didn't expose themselves to me. I, I didn't see any of the aliens that were with me. Uh, I might have been controlled telepathically. I don't know. Uh, put the sleep control. Maybe it was an out of body experience. Like maybe they pulled your soul out of your body, and that's how they got you there. And... Could be. I I, I have. You know, th those are things too that you have to look at. Sometimes they don't use the whole body. They just take mm -hmm. your your conscience and and your your soul, uh, and they they that's enough for them to study and to to upload from you. So. Uh, yeah, they don't necessarily have to take your body, but when they do work on your body, I think they do it right there at your bed or at the location that you're at because what they no normally do is they'll take semen or they'll take DNA samples and they'll take, an, uh, they'll take a look at you, uh, examine you real quick, and they can do that in your bed. Uh, that necessarily doesn't have to be tracked or beamed up to their ship. But I right. do remember I have a vivid regressions of being on, on several ships, uh, very vivid. Uh, so I have that uh, one story. In a, in a, in a, in a, in a, not to cut you off, but in a, in a physical uh, way you have these vivid memories. And uh, let me ask you, in, in this, uh, it's relative to your story, have you felt or have you uh, in any way, uh, looked at yourself and said, I look younger for my age because not only may you, may you have missing time, we're talking about the, you know, the advanced race that may have come here from who knows where. If they get abducted in this kind of manner, 
Uh, maybe they're dealing with uh, something that might take several hours and they can just drop you right off almost at the instinct or the moment that they, they took you uh, from, from your, where you're sleeping. So it could be almost instant, instantaneously where you disappear and you come back a few minutes later or an hour later, but you might have been gone for a day or two or a week. I mean, you don't really know. I mean, have you ever right. felt like you're no. younger than your than your actually ages? If you've been through, you know, a, a, a lot of experiences, it starts to catch up. If that's the case. Well, I've been. Uh, I hate to say it, but I'm 70 years old. But most people uh, clock me about 50, and maybe you younger. Yeah, uh, they you they go. think I'm 45 sometimes. Uh, so yeah, uh, I I do have a, a young appearance to me. Uh, I do fool a lot of people. Uh, I almost, I almost got in a, a guy that's almost going to punch me out because he thought I was lying about <laughs> me being in, in Vietnam. You know, he said, "You're not old enough to be in Vietnam. Don't lie to me." He said, "He said, he said, you and I need to go outside. You're lying to me." I said, "No, buddy. I don't even know you. I don't want to fight you." I said, "Here's my driver's license. Take a look at it." And he looked at it and he gave it back to me. He says, "Man," he said, "You could have fooled me." <laughs> and I said, no. <laughs> you know, so, yeah, I've had that. But also my older brother keeps telling me uh, from high school, from my first abduction when I was 14, uh, I scored high on uh, my IQ. I scored high on the military test exams, uh, really high. I, I, I scored uh, high enough to choose any job in the military I wanted. So I chose uh, top secret uh, nuclear weapons. I thought that uh, I thought that was the... You know the, uh, the the big Kahuna there. You know, but, yeah, the cream uh, of the crop. Not, not, didn't work out that way, but yeah, my brother keeps accusing me. He said, "You and uh, you and uh, our friend uh, seem like both of you got an intelligence leap uh, during that time." And I, it, it, I pause. I don't say anything. I pause and I think, "Did I? I might have. I, I don't know." Yeah. Uh, maybe they charged my uh, electrons in my brain or whatever, but uh, uh, but I, I I've always done well in that area, especially when I was younger. Uh, after that, and I've been accused. Like I said, my older brother still says it to this day. He says you've been abducted. He says your IQ went up about thirty knots, you know, thirty uh, thirty notches. I mean, so yeah. yeah. <laughs> you ask funny. You ask that question, but I, I'm not sure if it relates. I'm not going to put that in. I'm not going to put that in the UFO uh, events. Okay, that's not. That's just off to the side. Uh, that's yeah. That's not part of my UFO uh, uh, events. You know, the reason I mention it is because in my own research, I've, I've found that uh, a lot of abductees, uh, and especially the ones that are, that I I see have multiple experiences through their lives, tend to look younger than their age. Not only that, they tend to have better health than normal folks. Travis Walton is somebody, for example. Uh, who, you know, we, we all know what he went through in the 70s. And when I spoke to him, you know, one of the things he, he told me was that, yeah, that his health has been incredibly good considering all the years that's, that's passed. And you see him now at conventions or wherever. I mean, Travis, for his age, looks incredible. I mean, he, he's very vibrant still, uh, outspoken. You know, he, he never was a, a guy who went out early on and wanted to just make money off of his story. He wasn't about that. Uh, he kept his job 
from when he was abducted till the day he retired, you know, decades later. So it's not like he went on the road immediately and started selling books and making videos or even though there was a movie made about his life, that was what a decade and a half later or a decade later. Uh but even with that said, uh the guy's lived a very humble life and he's been in great health. And Right. I I, you know, I Angel actually know Travis. I visit him as at his house in Snowflake, Arizona. Uh, and uh, that's near the Petrified Forest, only about 20 right. miles away. Yep. And uh, I visit him at his house, and, uh, uh, yeah, he's from Humble Beginnings, and he told me, he said, he said, yeah, I'm retired from the Forestry Service, but he says they don't give you a very good retirement. So, uh, you know, like he <laughs> yeah. said, you know, uh, but, yeah, he's always, uh, I've, I've met him, I met him in, uh, I, I guess it was uh, Alamo, Nevada, when he did a, uh, uh, he did one of his first conferences there. He was actually, this was back in, uh, in uh, I guess, when was that? Gosh, uh, let's spend 08, 09. And he wasn't really, he kind of stayed away from giving, you know, uh, speeches at these conventions a lot. And he wasn't really good at it yet. He didn't have his timing down. But yeah. he was really nervous when he first started. And uh, so this was in Alamo, and I met him there, talked to him. And I met him again uh, in Arkansas a couple of times, uh, the UFO convention there. And so I got to know him pretty well. Uh, I told him a little bit about my story, but not much. Uh, sometimes when these guys are on their own story and on their own book and they're on their own dime, uh, they don't want you to call them. <laughs> right. So it's yeah. it's kind of like that. They they got their thing going on. They got their hands full, whatever. But uh, but it's I I, I share. I share a brotherhood, or, or you, well, you can even say a sisterhood, with a lot of women and men who've been abducted, and I, I draw close to them, and I, I you know, I, I want to get to know them, how how things are going for them, and what happened to them. I'm always curious because you're always looking for that little part of the puzzle that you may not have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very true. Very true. Now I know we're, we're getting short on time here. I don't know how much uh, further deep you want to go into your story, but. Uh, I know that you know you've given a, a lot of your time tonight, and it's always uh, fun to continue listening. But you know, getting into the conventions real quick, uh, are you going to be doing anything in the near uh, future uh, that you want to talk about? Uh, you, you know, how many of these have you done? I love conventions, by the way. I love going and, and meeting folks like Travis and yourself. And I got to meet Stan Friedman before he passed away, which was a huge thing for me. And uh, Kathleen Martin got to meet her. I mean, have well, you gone? Yeah, yeah, she's a great lady. Yeah. Oh my God, she, she's uh, an amazing woman. Yeah. yeah, getting to know these folks uh, and and see them in person and and thank them. Uh, Stan Freeman, somebody that you know, I've been researching what he's been talking about with Roswell for years, and uh, you know, I got to thank him live on camera, and that was uh, an amazing experience for me. And uh, you know, are you going to be doing more stuff like that in the near future with these conventions? Well, uh, Grant Cameron, when I talk to him, Grant right now is busy. Uh, he's actually going through Stanton Friedman's, uh, records and he's, uh, he's putting a lot of that stuff out on, uh, on Facebook. Some of the right. letters that he got from the government and some of the, some of the, uh, I guess, uh, information that he got about, uh, UFOs. And so Grant is, uh, uh Richard Dolan was also involved with that project but it looks like grant's doing a lot of that uh right now so he's he's been really busy with that but a lot of times i would do 
uh, a call him uh, the show with him, and I did a couple with him. Then I did about two or three group sessions with him and his group. And but he's been really busy. He told me that I would probably be on the speaking circuit before long. I've never done a convention. Uh, a lot of times you have to write a book. Uh, you yeah. have to, I guess uh, you have to get that little platform with a book. I haven't done that, uh, but I've been uh, I, I've been you know doing the radio thing. Uh, this is probably I've probably done. I just started doing a lot of this last three months or so. I've done probably 32 hours of radio in the last mm. two three months. So wow. yeah, I've I, I, I've done quite a bit, and uh, and I've got some more shows coming up. Uh, I'm just doing that. Uh, yeah, I could write a book. Yeah, I got I got enough. Uh, I got I got enough for a, a I guess a ma- rough manuscript right now with my ledger. So, but I haven't haven't just flipped that coin to do it yet. You know how that is. It is. I don't know. I'm I'm there, and I, I want to be. A lot of people tell me I should write a book. I could probably write two or three. I would have liked to made a screenplay on meeting that. Uh, maybe this story I should tell before we go off off the air. A documentary uh, would be great for you, by the way. Also, uh, a video documentary that you could uh, put out there. Uh, you know, a, a seriously uh, based, uh, you know, directed, uh, you know, high standard, high quality documentary. I think would help, you know, greatly as well. And uh, you know, those lectures. I mean, to spread you know, not only the 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 stories that you know you've experienced, uh, but to get further conversation going, which is I think one thing we always need is serious conversation when it comes to the subject, and not the hokey stuff like oh you know the star people that came down and they told yeah. us the future what's going to happen, uh, you, you know, and they start talking about stuff that they went through in their past life in Mars, and you know that's a little bit different, and and you know that's great yeah. and has a purpose. I, I, I... Yeah, you know. I catch your drift on that. Those are, those are kind of like dreams or something that's 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 coming from maybe your own creativity. Right. Uh, maybe I'm not. I'm not saying that about everybody, but sometimes it does. I. That's why I said I have to have some kind of a factual proof that something happened that triggered some of my events, and uh, like seeing five UFOs up close. I think that's enough to to trigger some, you know, some secondary facts. And information and events to follow. So Definitely. I, I yeah. go by solid evidence. Basically, I don't have solid. Evidence. Somebody asked me in in, uh, in Canada, uh, a real. I mean, this guy was a, a disinformation guy, and he said he he says something about my abductions. He said, but you don't have any proof about your abduction. I said, proof. I said, how can I have proof when when you're the only one involved in okay. the abduction? And, and the person laying next to you is, is dead asleep because they put them asleep. And I said, they're going to use one person. I said, also, a lot of those years I was single. I did, I wasn't married. And, and who knows? I could have been taken for some time, like you said, and nobody would have really known. And I would have found myself laying in bed and said, Oh, wow, did I oversleep? You know, so <laughs> I, I would know. And, and this guy was really mean. I, I, you know, I, I really felt, uh, he had a lot of information wrong. Uh, he even said that my wife and I had ET meetings at our house in Washington State. Well, I live in Illinois, and my wife is not involved in the ET. She's an academic type person, and but she believes what been what I've been through because she's she's had some things happen to her, and she's had a scrape on her back where they've taken a sample from her 
uh, some DNA scrape, and they and she's felt somebody's touch her on her leg and grab her on her leg and stuff. So she she knows what I've been through. She believes me because some, how, how long have you been together, you and your wife? I don't mind me asking. Seven years. Seven and, years. Okay. Yeah, when something happens, she'll say, she say, your friends are here. I looked at her and said, what do you mean? She said, I've been, you know, my, somebody grabbed me on the shoulder and she said, I, I, you know, I felt something, you know, uh, presence. And I said, yeah. I said, yeah, they're here. <laughs> so, so she knows. I mean, uh, she, and she's actually seen a couple of uh, UFOs uh, with me in the sky. Uh, and, you know, that we saw one that in the daytime that was bright and shiny. And she looked at it. She said, look, there's a UFO. She can almost identify him. And she hasn't had that much training or practice wow. at it. But, but uh, yeah, she, she realizes. But uh, I could tell this story about the hybrid. I've been mentioning it. You think I have about five minutes? I'd get through this real quick. No, go for it. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Uh, in 2010, uh, October 4th, the day to remember, but I – I'll never forget that day, and I was actually told by a uh, a person that I went and saw about ten days earlier, uh, who was a uh, I guess she called herself a seer. She was uh, part Indian, and uh, she she said she's not a psychic, but she she uh, she's some she's uh, I forget what she called herself, but uh, she's uh, uh, she she can see things and feel. And she told me that I was going to run into my first ET uh, October fourth. And she said, when are you taking off? She said, soon. I said, yeah, next week. She said, well, you'll see first alien October 4th. I said, really? And she said, your car is going to be damaged, but you're going to be able to drive it home. Well, the car damage was actually a hail damage. I had $2,600 hail damage, the first uh, tornado they had in Arizona in 50 years out there. And I just so happened to be there. Wow. And that's when, that's when I met this this uh, this uh, hybrid gal, Hiroko. She's of Asian descent. Uh, Japanese, and I've heard that there's Japanese uh, aliens uh, that uh, that people have actually seen and actually met. Well, I I met one. I I was I got into Sedona, and I I went to this gift shop, and they told me they saw a UFO at Cathedral Rock. So that's a Cathedral Rock, yeah, Cathedral Rock, but uh, or Butte, where do you want to call it? But I went there thinking, well, maybe I'll get something on film. So I started filming, and then pulls in behind me a little white car. Well, out steps this this uh, gal. She's been in her 30s, probably. She's a Japanese uh, a gal, and she had blue jeans on and a white uh, sweater, kind of dressed kind of poorly, like no no jewelry, uh, no makeup, uh, no nothing that a, that a woman normally would wear, and uh, she didn't even have a purse on her. And she comes walking over to me, smiling, and I, I asked her, I said, I said, are you going hiking? Are you waiting for somebody else? She goes, no. And she was like a little puppy. I couldn't get rid of her. And and, uh, and I said, well, it's going to start raining. You're going to go hiking. And then it did start raining when I said that. And then I said, you want to sit in my car? We'd talk. So we sat in my car, and we talked for about an hour and a half. While we were there, there was a car that pulled up beside us. Uh, and this looked like a young guy in his mid-twenties or so, and he had short cropped hair, and he had a headset on, and he did not look at me at all. And this happened three times within the hour and a half we were there. So he was actually watching the situation, or, or her guard or whatever. Uh, I, I was told uh, that, that actually what happens is that when these uh, hybrid aliens come here to learn how to be human, they have a human sponsor, number one. 
a human sponsor who takes care of them, and then they have security, somebody who watches over them. Well, I saw the security guy, and I think I saw the human sponsor the next day. But we talked for an hour and a half, and she tried to elicit, I guess, emotions from me. They say they do that, too. So everything she asked me was something like, what would you do with a coworker that you couldn't get along with? And I said, well, I'd try to talk it out. If I couldn't talk it out, I'd just keep my distance, so I'd just not get in any trouble. And then she says, my mom and dad uh, don't treat me very good. And she put her head down, she started crying. And it was a fake cry. I can tell a fake cry when I see one. And she had, like, tears, and she was kind of, like, uh, sobbing. I put my hand on top of her hand, and I said, that's okay. And when I did, her hand was so hot, I pulled it away, and I said, you're sick. There's something wrong with you. I said, it's cool outside. You're burning up with a fever. She looked at me. She had these real dark eyes. I guess you can call, like, the, the black-eyed kids or whatever. Mm-hmm. But she looked at me with that yep. stare, and I, I just felt it burning the back of my head. I had to turn away. I said, her uncle, don't look at me like that. I said, your eyes are so intense. I said, I thought I had intense eyes. I said, my goodness. I said, I said you can see right, right through me. She didn't say nothing. And then I asked her, I said, uh, well, how old are you? And, and she got kind of, I guess, a little uh, short with me. She looked at me. She said, why does everybody ask about age? She said, there is no age. There is no age. I said, yes, there is. And I said, I'm not going to argue with you. You know, and uh, so... I, every time, and I brought up UFOs, and every time I mentioned them, she kind of looked at me, kind of funny, and didn't say nothing. And but she, she was a, she couldn't read English, but she said she spoke 21 languages. And I took about three pages of notes when I got back to my lodge room after meeting her that night. We met the next day for breakfast. She was a little late, and I asked her about credit card. I said, "Did you check out of your room?" She goes. Yeah, she said. I said, did you, did you have a credit card that you, you know, that you used? I said you should call them saying you're checking out. Uh, they may charge you for another day. And she didn't know how to do all that. And she said she just ate bread uh, at the uh, at the hotel room or whatever. And I heard that a lot of uh, uh, hybrids they eat. They don't eat a lot of meats like we do or anything like that. But she did eat egg and stuff for breakfast the next morning that, that I was with her. Uh, and then she left, and then I made my notes, and I thought, okay, uh, fine. But six months later, March 17th, on St. Patrick's Day, my cousin and I was both sitting on my front porch, smoking cigars, taking these. It was really nice that day, about 72 degrees for Illinois. That's great. And so we saw three three people walking towards us from the road. It was about 150, well, about 200 feet away at that point. And then they walked in closer, but it was about 150 feet away. And the gal turned around and held her arms just like Hiroko did, but she didn't look at me. And the two young guys, one 15, maybe 16, the other one 17, 18, they, they walked up to us on the, on the porch. It's about 10 feet away from us. They acted kind of funny. And they, the only question they asked me was, where was the new Walmart? And it was, I said, it's right over that viaduct. And they said, <laughs> okay. And and that was the last words I said. My cousin, who is a big talker, I mean, he just rattles on and on and on. And he, But he was quiet. They had him dumbed down. They use magnetic energy to dumb you down. And you can feel it. You can just feel like your head is numb. Everything's fine. It's like you've had about five or six highballs, and you're just sitting there mellow. 
And that's how it makes you feel. And then you don't say nothing because it was on the tip of my tongue. I wanted to ask him, is that Hiroko down the, over there you know, in the road? And I wanted to ask that, but I couldn't. Uh, and then one of them apparently went in my house. I didn't see or, or hear of them going in my house. I was sitting there right there in front of the front door. They come out with this, my brown satchel. My brown satchel had my UFO notes in it and actually notes from from meeting with her. And so this young guy opened it up and looked in it, and he looked at me. It was like, okay, what's going on? And he reached in it, but I didn't see what he was doing. I, I thought he was manipulating us with some kind of a little flashlight-looking thing, and it wasn't, but it was actually my brown satchel. I didn't figure that out for a few days later that he went in the house and picked that up and showed me what he was looking at. And then they walked away. And when they walked away, I noticed them when they got to the, the, the street right in front of me. And then they walked and they, they met up with this, this lady. And my cousin didn't see them up to that point. He says, where are they at? I said, they're up there now. They're with that, with the Hiroko, I called her. And, uh, and then they walked to the stop sign about 50 feet away. And then we were talking, we looked, and they were gone, just disappeared. We looked up and down the road, and they were nowhere to be found. They, well, they would have been walking up or down the road if they were on foot. So uh, they just just vanished. And my cousin got up, and he's not used to this stuff. Uh, he's, about as, uh, he's about as shallow as a dry creek bed when it comes to UFOs and paranormal. So he got up, and he was pale white. He said, what the hell just happened? And I said, I can tell you later when you settle down, uh, it's got something to do with ETs. He said, oh, my God. He said, he said, I'm getting out of here. He got in this truck and just took off. And his wife told me the next day that he was scared to death. He, she asked me what happened, and I told her. You know, So, yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's the follow-up fact that I'm talking about, Angel, that, that when something happens and then you get some follow-up, that, that occurs that's that's when you can say yes that happened yeah yeah so, no, no good and you have uh not only you have uh family members and others uh as witnesses which is funny he was scared and, and left that you know that's i think in a, you know a form that most people would react in that way uh that's why i think the disclosure is coming in driplets and small drops and soft disclosure as I've called it right. here on the show before, because the average individual might not be 100% ready to, you know, discover the fact that we're not alone. And That's that we've right. never been alone. And that we might be the product of somebody else. Maybe not a, a spiritual God made us. Maybe there is one that made the entire universe. But maybe we were manipulated and created by some kind of a alien race. Uh, which, by the way, Dave, and, and you know, like I said, we're going to go off in, in a few minutes here because I know you've, you've, okay. you've extended. But one thing I always get into when I talk, you know, about you know, the subject with everybody, and I wanted to get your opinion on this. To me, no matter what you know, you describe your religious background is or what your belief is, no matter what your subject is when it comes to the big G, God. Or the smaller G's, which would be the aliens that might have manipulated us along the way and played God. Like we're playing God now with technology and maybe artificial intelligence. That's a form of us playing God. We're creating an artificial life. Um, maybe that's where we are. We're, we're a form of artificial, 
beings that uh you know are hosting these other light minds and that's what our soul is and that's part of the the programming and we're continuing uh continuing our you know our our initial creators of form of doing things but creating our own uh beings in our image and our likeness so we create robots that look like us for example uh but these same beings uh that might be interacting with us uh, i think are giving us that path towards that and it goes back to now well let me ask the question if you're coming from uh this dim- you know this dimension from far away or anything anywhere else it would make perfect sense to create something like that whereas uh something that can travel through space and time or dimensions or whatever and get to certain you know places that's why they travel in these you know crafts and whatnot uh but it's amazing that they in the enter and exit space like they do uh at such a, an amazing rapid rate where a human body couldn't you know do that unless there's something else that's controlling it um in that i think is the overall aspect i think there is more to everything and it's not only consciousness but we might actually be living in a matrix type of environment. That's a very big possibility. Right. I, I ran into my double out in New Mexico. That's another story. Uh, and I have proof from several people who saw my double and chewed me out. Uh, I might be able to get into that some other time. But talking about prayers and, and God, I start off my prayers like saying this. I said, Lord, Creator, God of Gods. Mm. I've, I've learned go. how to say that, God of gods. So the ultimate God, the source of all life and all energy, that's the God of gods. You, you just mentioned we called ETs gods uh, thousands of years ago, but they're not They're not God. Uh, right, there is right. a God. Yeah. So well, that's the, how I do my prayers now. It changed, it changed my whole, uh, you know, context for, for praying. Yeah, no, that's why I say the the big G compared to the little G's, uh, you know, the play God like we're we're doing now, and I think that's you know one of the big lessons we learn when we die is you know we we realize that you know maybe we take the uh, the VR goggles off when we pass away, and next thing you know we're actually in a, in a different realm, and that's where we start from, and then we go back. I'm a big believer in reincarnation and things like that as well. And I think all that is relative because we're kind of like playing an endless game, I believe. And that's part of the equation also, I think, that we might one day uh, become aware of that we're kind of like another dimension of the realm. Maybe in this body that we, you know, we inhabit now, it's just, you know, part of of a game that we're playing. And that's what releases the body when we die. Because it is scientifically proven when you die, there is energy that escapes the body. There is an actual right. weight that leaves the body at the moment of death. Right. right. So. And that's at a higher higher frequency where it can just go. I, right. Yeah, I've heard scientists say that in uh, uh, out of London there was a scientist, I forgot his name, he was a Asian, but he said aliens are invisible. And also heard just here lately that uh, that uh, brain the brain can be controlled by light frequencies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, I I was actually I, I found how they erased my mind, but they didn't erase at all when I was out in Sedona with this uh, this uh, uh, this hybrid uh, alien whatever. But I I was in my room and and they were walking me back and forth, 
and they were taking this small light, it looked like a tube, and it was really bright. It hurt my eyes. Somebody held me by the arm while the other person was, or entity, was holding that light against my eyes and my face. They were erasing me, and that's how they did it, with the light frequency. So they know how to manipulate light, uh, light frequency, in which can mm-hmm. control the brain or whatever. And that's the same night I kicked away a brown tube from my groin. And oh, uh, wow. Hiroko, the, uh, the, the uh, hybrid, told uh-huh. me that she had to have a baby. She told me that in a conversation uh, the night before. And, and apparently she got her baby or my semen uh, that, that next day so or that same night. Because that's uh, I had a regressed dream. I went back to the room, took pictures, and I said, I asked the guy for the same exact room, and I did, and I walked back and forth, took pictures, and when I saw the pictures, it dawned on me, that was the path that I was walking. I was walking to the patio doors, and somebody was sitting at the little table, and there was two people or two entities. They were holding a light in my face and walking me. I guess they had to walk me at the same time they did the light thing. I don't know why that is. Maybe they had to have your your blood pumping to your brain as you walked, and they did the the light frequency to erase things. But they didn't get it all. Too bad. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm gonna give you one final question, and 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 it okay. to where exactly you know you're talking about Oroku and the Japanese looking alien. Uh, this is something that I've you know often asked not only myself but guests on the show. You know, we have such a diverse planet where we have, you know, Asians, Indian Asian, Asiatic Asian, Asians, uh Nordic looking folks, black folks, you know, Indian looking folks. Uh and we're all on this planet together and we're all human beings, but we always share this one thing is you know, we all have differences that are, you know, very extreme between the races uh now is it possible do you think uh that maybe since i you know personally believe we're quarantined on this planet do you think that there could be a chance that out there you know what happened was that you know maybe a certain like uh, governmental et race let's call them like uh starfleet or something like that uh sent to earth you know some of the the worst of uh you know uh, that are out there, some of the, the, the biggest criminals in space, and said, you know, we're going to put you on this planet kind of like we did to the Australians, or the Europeans did to the Australians a long time ago, and said, you know, you're going to share this planet, and when you start acting right, then we'll let you uh, come out into the cosmos, and then we'll start, you, you know, allowing you to take part in what, you know, is reality. But for now, you know, you folks are kind of troubled. So you're going to quarantine for maybe several million years or whatever until you're deemed ready. Uh, I, I think, to me anyway, that's a theory I've always held on to as it would explain the certain differences uh, in people because I never really hold on to the notion the Bible says, well, you know, God made Adam and Eve, and Adam and Eve created Cain and Abel, two brothers, one killed the other. How did they make babies? You know, if only no. Adam and Eve was right. created. I'm sure they, you know, Cain wasn't hitting up his mom every uh, nine, ten months to have a baby. That's disgusting to think of, but I'm pretty sure that didn't happen. And if you went to the Lord, once the Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden uh, and they went on their way, they found a city, city of Gomorrah, I believe is the name of the Bible, uh, if I'm not mistaken, I might be mistaken on the name, but they found Sodom a city. Yeah, that, Correct. That's not the city they found back in, in the time of Eden, uh, with Adam and Eve and the, and the, the two sons. Uh, the one son uh, killed the other. 
And Correct. he went to another city. And the the Bible at that point doesn't really make sense uh, in right. a way. Right, I, I, I was just sitting about, there. You know, they, 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 yeah, they're supposed to be the only human beings. And the one son that survived, apparently, he he mated with his mother. I mean, that that's, that's uh, to me, I don't like that story. But <laughs> I think what happens is that the son went to another city, another town. And so how could they be the only people? Right. Uh, it's a con- contradiction in a way. Yeah, yeah, no, completely, it is. And by the way, and, and I'm going to say something that's probably going to make you laugh a little bit. If you think about it, uh, son and his mother, how are they going to populate, you know, father, mother, son, mother, how are they going to populate all the millions of people we have here with all the diversity? And for everything that we have, I'm talking about millions and millions of people, very few retarded people compared to all the inbreeding. That, that, right. you know, you're talking about it, that's the case. Uh, right. So I don't buy that part of the Bible. I do think Adam and Eve, the Adamski or the Eden or whatever, you know, the, the, the version you want to believe from back in the day, might have been an actual tale of an alien race that were genetically manipulating man at that time. And right. you know, the Adam and Eve story is one of the many Adam and Eve stories that, you know, that happened at that time. It was just the one that we captured and put into story form. But when you, like, look into the entire story, the, the storyline, it makes no sense. Like you said, it's it doesn't jive with reality. Like, you know, okay, who are these people in this town that he encountered? You know? Yeah. His kids, same, same, had, same, you know, yeah, yeah. he had kids after the... Yeah, no, uh, and, no yeah, and, and, they put and all has, the animals on there. I think it was DNA. Yeah, no, that makes sense compared to you know creating an ark where you could fit in polar bears and tigers and and pandas. We know how pesky pandas are. What kind of food are you going to put in there for them? You know, uh, yeah, it, right. it, you know it, it, that makes no sense. But you create like a ship with with DNA samples, and that is where you bring everything back from uh, whatever disaster you might have. Which every Bible in the world talks about a great flood, right? Well, maybe that's right. how they did it. Yep. There's a lot yeah. of questions we, we still have to get answered, and I think we're getting those answers. Uh, and it, I think a lot of these things were metaphors, yeah. uh, you know, like like telling stories, and uh, but they didn't really know the, the real in-depth uh, scientific DNA facts back in those days, so they had to, had to, have, had to do some kind of a, uh, I, I guess, parallel little story to make people understand that okay this is what happened to adam and eve but it was actually dna and and this type of thing those are not all the animals just dna samples from everything uh but how would you hop around and get all those dna samples from all over the world um actually you know funny enough i don't know if you've ever seen this movie have you seen the uh, it's an animated movie it's called titan ae no no, okay, I highly recommend it. It stands for Titan After Earth. And uh, the whole premise is that uh, Earth created a UFO-looking thing. It's like a, kind of almost like a Death Star, you know, sphere, um, spherical uh, object that it, that it has in it uh, all the records of every single DNA on the planet Earth. For the catastrophe that is coming after Earth is destroyed, they could set up, you know, this world in another part of the of the universe that has the the uh, the Goldilocks zone, where we can go ahead and create life like we know here on Earth, 
it's a brilliant cartoon. I mean, it's an animated movie to do amazing at the box office or anything. But the, the premise is just brilliant. And it goes back to that story that, you know, we could do something like that. That could have been Noah's Ark. And that could be the premise. Right. I always say the cartoons and movies kind of lead us in the direction of, you know, stuff that these people know and they kind of give us triplets of information. Like, that to me would be something that if you want to disclose where we came from, well, let's put it in cartoon form so they can kind of get that information on their head now. So if that's the reality we're one day told, it's not as far-fetched or as alien to us as a concept as, well, okay, that makes sense. And you could start to rationalize what, like, you know, we were talking about with the Bible as uh, not so much misinformation, just information told in the viewpoint of the way they could describe it at that moment in time, when in reality is all technology-based, and this is really what it was. Uh, this is what Noah's Ark was. This is, you know, the, the reality that we're living in. And Earth could be an Earth, too. We could have come from somewhere else. We could be quarantined here. We, you know, there, there could be all kind of possibilities. That could be Noah's Ark. We could have come from Mars, and Noah's Ark could have been the way we got here to Earth. I mean, that's another right. possibility. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of folks say we did come from Mars. Yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, can, can you imagine who Spielberg might have rubbed elbows with? Oh, goodness, uh, man. Yeah. I mean, Jackie Gleason for a long time in Hollywood had that stigma that he saw a UFO and he was told things and uh, yeah, as you can imagine, if Hollywood is being brought into the knowledge because they want to indoctrinate the rest of the world with what the reality is and get them ready for a soft disclosure, the best way to do it is through movies, entertainment, and and just, you know, slowly coach a, you know, reality into the collective consciousness. Because if not, you can warp people in and drive people kind of insane. Look, the uh, the audio clip in the, uh, what was it, the 30s or 40s, the War of the Worlds, that proved that. People thought that we were getting invaded, and that was a, a audio drama. And people went to the streets with guns, ready to start shooting aliens out, out of the sky. Yeah, and that, right. that was a I, test, you know? Yeah. Speaking of Jackie Gleason, one of the stories, that, he's got it in his book, and his wife tells the story. I don't know if she tells it herself or if she's told reporters or it was in his book. I'm not really sure. I never confirmed that. But the story that Jackie Gleason uh, told his wife was that uh, he was friends with Richard Nixon, president. Mm -hmm. And right, uh, yeah. back in 71, before all of his trouble uh, hit the fan, him, yep. they, they played golf together. So they were really good friends. So uh, Nixon was in Florida, and I guess Jackie Gleason was there at the same time. They played golf. Right. And he yep. says... Yep. He said, Jackie, I'm going to take you to a, an Air Force base here in Florida. I'm going to show you something. And so he got in a car and drove it. Nixon actually drove the car. Jackie Gleason got in with him. He went to the front gate of this Air Force base, and the uh, the guard there looked at him and said, yes, sir, Mr. President, and let him in. So he went in, and then he went to this building, and he had to go through several doors and then several uh, security guards and being the president, you know, he was able to get through with that with that uh, clearance that he had. So he went into this this laboratory where they had a couple of bodies of aliens, and he showed Jackie Gleason. He said, "Do you know what those are?" And Jackie Gleason said, "Are those rubber? Are those are what are they?" He said, "No, they're real." He said, "Those are real aliens, Jackie." Yeah. And he and uh, the the story goes that he got. He turned real pale, and it really was a shock to him 
And he started heading out the door, and, and uh, Nixon followed him. And they went back, and he was real quiet when he got back in the car. And he told uh, Nixon, he said, you shouldn't have showed that to me. He said, that's shocking. He said, I, I'll never get over this. And so they, she said that uh, he never forgot that. It, it just it just kind of shocked him, you know, that, that, that he saw these aliens. And that's one of the stories uh, that, yeah. that was out. Yeah. Actually, his wife told it, yeah. Uh, you mentioned something about Jackie Gleason seeing a UFO, uh, but the story, is, as I heard it, it was, uh, I don't know if it's verbal or if it's written in his book. I never did read his book, so I don't know. But his wife told the story uh, about that. So it's interesting. Yeah, no, it definitely is. And uh, it's funny enough, you know, we bring up Nixon and Jackie Gleason. Uh, you know, Nixon, uh, you know, as we all know, had the impeachment uh Stuff you know stuff that happened, and while he was never impeached, he you know he stepped down before the impeachment happened to him. But funny enough, what are we going through now with Donald Trump impeachment? Right, the the, the right. media is hell bent on destroying this man. And here's the kicker, and and I'm gonna really blow your mind with this one, Dave. I don't know if you follow these these dots. Uh, like Nixon, okay, who has that history with Jackie Gleason, Donald Trump has his own UFO history. Not only the Space Force, which now he's spoken about creating, uh, right. but have you heard of the name John Trump, John J. Trump, or John G. Trump, I'm what? sorry. Wasn't that his dad? That was his uncle. His dad was Fred uncle. Trump Sr. Uh, okay. Now, John Trump worked for the Intelligence Department, CIA, and uh, he was actually one of the key and first people that went into uh, Tesla's office when Nikola Tesla died, and he uh, went through the paperwork that Tesla left behind, hundreds of pages uh, that he went through, and including, uh, you know, from a lot of sources, uh, the schematics and things that Tesla was working on. They had a UFO flying saucer shaped to it. And now, if you follow the doubts here, and uh, this is mind-boggling, and I know that you know others have covered it. I don't know if you heard this, uh, but it's a little timeline. Tesla dies. John G. Trump discovers all the paperwork, along with the rest of the intelligence to, uh, community. They're given to the to the government. What happens uh, right after that? We have the war ending, right? We have. Uh, the inheritance of all these Nazi scientists, uh, Werner von Braun and all these folks that come over. And what do they bring with them? All the technologies and, and stuff they're working on in secret. And that creates our NASA. But in, in between that and before that, as soon as they come over here, what happens a few years later? We have Roswell, where Dan, uh, Don, you know, Kraft comes in, you know, in contact with a rancher was blown away by the Eagles gets help. Immediately they put it on the news as a flying saucer and then it gets redacted and oh it's just a weather balloon. You know, nothing to see here. Uh to me, you know, Rounds was always been a smoke and mirrors type of operation where we were testing what I believe what Tesla and the and the Nazis were working on at Roswell and that's what crashed. Because if you think about technology and, and you know, and especially humans, anytime we create something, what's the first thing we start doing? We test it. And when any, and the Wright brothers know this, or they knew this, because they're dead now, but the Wright brothers knew this, technology doesn't always work the first time you try it. You go through trial and error, and sometimes you have crashes, right? 
Right. Now, think yeah. about it. If we're working you might on remember, secret te- you might secret remember another name as we, uh-huh. we're getting involved in names. Is uh, uh, Bush, President the Elder Bush. His yep. father was on the Majestic 12 list. Correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And funny enough, these are the, the folks who have been leading this country for the last 50 years. Bush senior and i'm sure right. cheney jr uh the trumps the reagans reagan being an actor does not give anybody smoking mirrors uh you know uh, yeah. an actor like jackie gleason was an actor donald trump a tv star i mean a lot of this stuff is you know made as entertainment as well but in reality you know there are connections when you start you know putting connections together you're like wait a second what is uh, donald trump's uncle doing going through Tesla's uh, UFO files, and now he's talking about the Space Force. What does he know? Right. What he's not telling yeah, us. It, yeah. You know? yeah, follow the billionaires also. The billionaires know quite a bit. Correct. Uh, so, yes. Yeah. Uh, if you get up into that, that strata of being so rich, uh, you get into corruption sometimes, uh, like this one guy did uh, here a while back, and Feinstein, and you know, all these all these rich people, they... they mm-hmm. They have a connection, and they have money that buys these connections, and they probably know a lot more than what they say. They have to, they're held to secrecy to a certain yeah. amount, and, and actually the billionaires, uh, I I I don't trust any of them. To tell you the truth, <laughs> I don't either. Until the the entire planet like is against you. Uh, when that happens, there, there's something there. I think there's uh, some fear that Donald might reveal something that they don't want him to reveal. And that's why you're hearing all these crazy things that pop up. I mean, this guy can't take a piss, to be honest with you, without no, you know, yeah, that's true. Nancy Pelosi or anybody saying, we're going to impeach him. He urinated outside the urinal. We can't have that, you know. Right. You know, I've never offense. seen a president, you know, I'm 70 years old, Angel. I've never seen a president go through this much. Nixon didn't even really go through this much, only about Correct. six months, and then he, he resigned because he knew he was facing impeachment. But he, he did a criminal act. But, mm-hmm. but uh, here you got, you got Trump who's doing political. Uh, he's stepping on his, on his tie a lot of times doing political stuff, but, but he's just a different creature than the other presidents. I mean, he's, he's different. Uh, he's got a lot done on one side. On the other side, yep. he tells it like it is, and I think the deep state is afraid of him. Yeah. And uh, so it's up to everybody to, to make up their mind what pol- uh, political persuasion they are. I, I voted both ways. I always voted for the person, not the party. Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, so, yeah. you know, I've always done that. I, I you know, I, I voted for Obama when he first ran. You know, I, uh, I voted Republican since then because I seen the writing on the wall. I mean, yeah. I, you know, I, I, I even uh, done some uh, political work back in the 90s. For Democrats here in in Illinois, so I I've been on both sides and I know what it's about. But the Democratic Party has changed so much, I don't even recognize it anymore. Uh, it's just I, I don't know. Uh, so I, I, you know, you're hoping that an independent will come in there and say, "Hey, I'll do I'll take care of all this," you know, uh, <laughs> or some miracle happens that they'll stop all this stuff. You know, the sad thing is when we have uh, an actual uh, bright, independent uh, mind that comes forward, uh, the media tears them apart immediately. Uh, right. You know, look at Rand Paul, for example. Rand Paul really, in, in all actuality, is independent, even though he runs Republican. 
uh, but his, you know, he's a little bit liberal, but he's mostly conservative, so he's kind of in the middle, uh, and I think he would make an excellent president, both head senior and junior. Uh, but you're never going to see that happen because the media won't allow it. It's who they want to be president at this point. That's true. And, and it shouldn't crazy. be that way. No, it shouldn't, it be, shouldn't that way. be that way. It shouldn't be that way. I guess we went into this thing a long time, haven't we? <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 definitely. Listen, uh, I know that uh, you're, you know, you, you put your stuff out there and uh, you, 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 your story is amazing. So we definitely want to have you back on the show. Uh, very sure. pronto, very soon, because I, like I said, the time just flew by, and we had you on for a lot longer than we, were, we had spoken about, so thank you for spending the time with us. Now, do you have anything that's, coming up that you want to promote also, by the way? Uh, not really. I have a, a few radio things to do uh, next week and two or three of them in November, uh, so I'm just taking it a, a step at a time. And uh, just uh, I'm, I'm going to probably start. I might even start my own radio program. I have a, a guy in uh, Washington D.C. that's been talking to me uh, about taking, and he'll help produce it with the music and the breaks and everything. And I'll do the the hosting. So I, I thought about maybe doing that, but I, I've been talking to him about that. So I'll, I'll be. I've been busy the last couple of months, so I'm just now getting back on my feet with a lot of this uh, UFO uh, uh, interviews and things. Well, we'll talk off air, and I'll uh, give you some pointers on how the podcasting stuff happens. Also, it's very simple to do. Uh, it's a lot easier. I mean, what you did now, it's pretty much it. Uh, the technology has gotten so much better, Dave. It's uh, it's incredible right. what you do with very minimal uh, money, and uh, you can get amazing quality sound and stuff. So, I I highly recommend it. I mean, like I said. Uh, you know, your story needs to get out there, you know, more than it is already. And writing a book is a great idea. Doing a documentary, that's a great idea. Podcasting it, that's an excellent idea. Do you have a website that you want to promote? Uh, a, a link or anything no. that people can go no, to I, you? I, re- I really don't. Uh, just your, just your website for now. <laughs> there, you go. there you go. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. You, you so, can find it at no. info on com for sure. <laughs> okay. I'm not hawking no book yet, so. I don't have much to say about uh, uh, trying to commercialize things, so uh, I'll just uh, I'll just depend on on you and your site. So uh, for now, well, sir, thank you so much for spending your uh, couple hours here with us. And uh, out of Illinois, so you're an hour behind me, which is cool. Uh, I'm a night owl, so I'll be here podcasting this on the website pretty soon. Uh, folks that are listening in. In about 20, 30 minutes, we'll be able to get the download, and I'll send it to you as well. Uh, but it, it's been an honor, really, talking to you and having you on the show. And hopefully, like I said, I hope you can come back real soon and we continue uh, talking, because there's so much more to dig into. And uh, right. normally I'm a lot more talkative on the show, but if you notice, I kind of like let you uh, go on, because it is a very intriguing uh, story. And, again, thank you so much. I, I like I like what you're doing also, Angel, because it, it gets... It, I get to, to be philosophical about what's going on. Uh, yeah. you're, you're opening me up to the to the back of the stage, as we would say, uh, instead of the, you know just having the, the event uh, told. Uh, it then we're opening up thoughts and ideas and philosoph- philosophical uh, uh, mentions about what has what's transpired and what has happened. That's I appreciate great. That. I like that. Yeah, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. And like I said, we're definitely going to be in contact off here, and we'll continue to grow, uh, hopefully, our friendship uh, through the uh, the next, uh, you know, 
decade, 20, you know, 20 years, whatever it is sure. we have left yeah. on this planet. Hopefully, we can sit one day and say, and say, look, Dave, we saw disclosure actually take place. Well, you know, we right. know the truth now. Yeah. You know, well, I want to see that in our lifetime. Yeah, we're UFO brothers, brother. There you go, my friend. Uh, guys, yeah. uh, thank you so much for listening to us. Uh, to, we've gone way over. Uh, Dr. J is coming up next. We're giving the go-ahead to uh, continue on with uh, Dave. And, uh, again, uh, a fantastic guest. Look him up, Dave Emmons. Check his uh, other podcasts that he's been on. It uh, doesn't matter. I'll you know If I find some that are great, I'll promote it on my website. I don't care if they get hits on YouTube. That's fine with me. Go on them. Listen to his story. We're going to have him back on, and uh, it's going to be uh, a fun uh, time when he comes on every time because it's fascinating stuff. So, uh, Dave, thank you again, my friend. And, guys, we'll thank be back you. next week with more Inside the Jackal's Head right here on PSN Radio. And stick around, like I said, Dr. J's coming up next. Now, this is Tim Brennan with Enemy. Keep listening. Good night, everybody. Yeah, good night.